Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 958 with Joanna Kelly. I think sometimes we struggle so hard to find purpose in life. And from a very, again, I think early age, I, I feel like my purpose was to help other people get what I never had. So feel safe and feel secure and feel valued um, and create spaces that people can have that. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and owner of Cup of Joe Cafe and Bar. Yes. Joe Kelly. Joe, Hi. are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I'm very excited. I'm super excited to have you on the show. You're somebody who the the, the town of Portsmouth and the greater Seacoast area and in, in New Hampshire are just talking about. Like you're you're doing things. You're 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 doing a great job here. People are like you're you're opening people's eyes to a, a bigger picture. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Yeah. And it's just a it's a pleasure to sit here and make an example of you today. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. I'm excited. So before we get into who you are and yeah. what you're doing and what you're all about, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah. So my big mantra that that I kind of live my life by now is that um, if you have five minutes and someone asks you to do something, you do it. If you have five minutes and somebody asks you to do something, you do it. Get yeah. into why that's your Yeah. Mantra. So a lot of times what I have found in my life is that, you know, I'll pick up the phone and someone will say, um, can you help me find a solution? Can you help me find a, you know, find a way to navigate this problem? I, I need advice. And, and I usually say to myself, if I can do it within two to five minutes, I automatically say yes. And if I can't do it, I find an alternative to offer them. So if they say, you know, I'm looking to find out about, um, 
I can't even think of an example, but find out about something. If I can connect them with somebody who's in that industry or who has more knowledge than me, and that takes me less than five minutes to make that connection on the spot and doing it on the spot. So give me an example of an alternative when you like can't do something. Like, is it if, if you don't know somebody, maybe you know somebody who knows who knows somebody? somebody. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And I think um, so for me, what I... I, my whole life, have struggled uh, with my ADHD that from ever since I was a little kid. and I'm sure that resonates with a lot of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think what's really funny is I've, I've now, and we can touch on it a little bit more later, have built my, my life model, my business model around, um, around my ADHD instead of um, trying to navigate ADHD through the, re- through the regular normal, normal world. Well, it's weird. Like what, like I think society has falsely labeled certain like even the calling it a disorder. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not what somebody at one point in time labeled as normal. Yeah. Yeah. And I now, I now you, I think see a lot more people calling it like neurotypical. So you're just slightly, you know, you're neuroatypical, you're, 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 you know, you're going back and forth um, of how you describe it. But yeah, I think describing it as a disorder, I, I feel you find less people doing it. I view it as my superpower most of the time. And then, Definitely sometimes it's a kryptonite. So how is it a superpower for you? Get, get into an example of how you think that's a superpower. Um, so I think, you know, just I just look at my life and all of the things I do. And I can do all of those things because part of, you know, we call it a symptom or part of a descriptor of ADHD is you have hyper fixation on things. And so the things I love, I'm super passionate about and I'm so driven um, to to keep, you know, to keep getting stimulated by those things so I'm, I'm ever like focused and attached on that yeah i mean this is i mean i totally relate with this because like i'm also adhd but i'm also dyslexic yeah and in school i think if you're one of those things the traditional school system doesn't necessarily favor those people right? yeah no well it fails them yeah but at the same time in my experience and giving using myself as an example like i was never really great at school but i always did amazing in social situations and i might have not been able to tell you what the answer on the test was but i could tell you who could give who was the best person that could probably get me the answer you know what i'm saying like and just knowing the social dynamic so like it's like but that type of skill set that type of strength in elementary school doesn't help you do good yeah on tests at least yeah i have a lot of friends I don't know if I can remember a conversation I had five minutes ago, but I can remember to a T a conversation I had five months ago. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 really interesting, especially, you know, just navigating, again, adulthood. Yeah. Um, and people train you to to live a certain way yeah. in life. Yeah. And, um, and I've really tried to not. And, and I, I think sometimes I say try, but to know um no self credit. It's just the way I'm like, I need to survive. Yeah. So I need to adapt and accept myself but and those, accept these things. Those skills that you develop as a young person struggling, if you can't get by with getting a good grade on the test, right? Yeah. The, the, the soft skills you develop around that to succeed, like social and emotional intelligence, yeah. those things come back way stronger later in life. Oh, yeah. If anyone would have told me that, like, you know, like the, me being on student council and, you know, doing all of these activities that I was, you know, had teachers hounding me like, where's your paper? Where's your paper? Why are you do your, you know what I mean? People are looking at you like you're, you know, doing all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, I know the paper. It's in my head, but it's, 
I don't know if it's going to get on paper. I used to try to convince my teachers to let me do oral presentations all the time. Oh, my God. Because I would be like, I'm going to ace this. Yeah. You know, and, Just let me talk. Yeah. And in adulthood, and especially in like the careers and the things that I've done, there's a whole lot of oral presentation. And yeah. I rock it. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, a little teaser. You end up going to school. This is actually a good segue. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit too ahead, but you end up going to school for marketing. So you're always, yeah, marketing sales, right? Uh, yeah, marketing, but I, I dropped out. You did drop. I had no money. Um, it's a true challenge. I it mean, is. It's real. And there was a long time, um, and I openly admit this now, that I would just, I wouldn't necessarily say lie, but I would insinuate that I had graduated. So I'd mm. say like, oh, I went to the University of New Hampshire. You know, when you're an adult, nobody asks It's a you. soft truth. Yeah, it, yeah, it, or yeah. Or it's a soft lie. Yeah, yeah. you're not lying because you did go there. I just didn't graduate. <laughs> I just left that part off. Um, and so, but but now so much, I, um, you know, there were so many things in my life. I, I As you touched on a little bit, I had kind of a rough, crazy childhood uh, and young adulthood. But there were so many times in my life I felt inferior. And so I, you know, I, I never fully admitted every you know what I mean it was always like here's a little sample but if I if I tell you everything it's it's gonna blow your mind um but it wasn't until the last few years that I've I've almost worn um some of these what I call disadvantages uh as badges of honor you know I'm here even though I didn't do all of those things yeah Despite, despite, yeah. despite of all these other things, like I still am, I'm here. I overcame. yeah, in part, and partly because of those things. What were, I mean, let's get into it. Like what yeah. you said that you were, you felt. What was the word you use? Uh, embarrassed, ashamed. What was yeah. the word you used? Yeah, I, I well, I would use all of those words. <laughs> well, well, uh, exactly. Get into it. Like you said, you only give people a little slither of the yeah. truth. I'm I'm trying to get the whole pie. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like as a kid? What what were those challenges? Yeah. So I grew up. Um, Again, I used to tell people foster care, but because that's the easiest thing for people to understand. But in reality, I was a ward of the state. Okay. Um, what which, does that mean? Like the state's basically your guardian? Yeah, which means that nobody doesn't want you, but nobody fully wants you. That's hard it's for a, a child to very, um, Do you still feel that way? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm sure that there's a huge, and as we get into it, part of opening this is part of, you know, filling that gap. Um but so I, I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, but moved up to New Hampshire when I was six months old. So I consider myself like a tried and true, yeah. unless I'm driving and then I'm a mass hole. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> my it's in my blood to genetically weave. Um, <laughs> but so um, I, I always say that, you know, the reason I feel like I've, I'm semi-normal, <laughs> as normal as anyone in the restaurant world can be, um, is that for the first few years of my life, it, it was pretty stable. Uh, my grandparents raised me um, and a couple of my cousins um, in Rochester, New Hampshire, and we had a pretty normal, normal life. Um, it wasn't until about age seven where, and I think it was a huge amount of factors. Um, part of them is I always say that, like, you know, I noticed injustice very early in life. And I know that sounds crazy to be like, you're seven years old, you don't know injustice. Kids are smart. They're very intuitive. They pick up on shit. Completely. And also, I was the only African American in my family. And I was living in white town. And that is is the age, I think, that that became a a point of context for people and a point of conversation for people. Um, And also, at that age, you're, you're realizing when everyone's making a Mother's Day card and a Father's Day card and you don't have them and you know we we weren't you know we were very low 
income. Um, you know, I think now if I look back and, you know, my grandfather made a good living, but he was the sole provider. And at, there would be points in, in our in our two two bedroom condo that it would be me and four of my cousins and an aunt on the couch. And you know what I mean? And so um, we, we didn't have a lot of money. I I distinctly remember going to food pantries and going to places like Operation Blessing to go yeah. school shopping. And I had Christmas presents because I had a star in the tree at the Salvation Army. Um, and so I felt like I just, I feel like I just noticed those things way earlier. And I think there was a period in time I got angry. Yeah. Um, and I think we, it's, a very, it's a very clear line that if you, if you have a child that needs support, um, and they're not getting it and they get angry, then they get destructive. And if you get, if you can, if you can cut off at that anger and help turn that anger into wellness, then you can create a very productive human. For me, what happened is nobody was there. You know what I mean? And it, it and, um, I, you know, I look back now, my grandparents were my grandmother who did most of the raising was not a highly educated woman, was not emotionally intelligent by any mean you know was she was like the old like go get that you know wooden spoon and you know lay on your stomach and i'm gonna whack your legs you know Mm. that was a very you know average day-to-day thing in our in our household um so yeah so so you know it, it got it got a little crazy i went into uh, I lived in like a children's home for a little bit. I bounced around to eight different house homes. Um, crazy. I th- it's just crazy. Eight I lived- different homes from what time to what time? Um, so from the, so from seventh grade to when I, when I left high school. Wow. I not left. I did graduate high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, left, I, I graduated high school at 17. Um, but yeah, so I lived in um, a children's home for a little bit. There was one, this is the one thing I always tell people that they're like is that a fucking joke so I would I would stay at a children's home that was here local on the seacoast and I would do what you would call long haul respites so I'd be there from anywhere from if it was an emergency respite like there was a blowout fight at my house uh, with me and my grandparents they like would come and pick me up and like I would go there so sorry keep going yeah you know go ahead so I'm like I'm just trying to fully it's a, understand. It's a lot. I'm asking it's, you a lot of personal questions. No, it's and I'm fine. so grateful that you're willing to talk about this stuff. Because really, ultimately, just in full transparency, what I'm trying to do is to get people to kind of empathize yeah. with your story. And yeah. the only way I think we can fully empathize is by fully understanding. Absolutely. So from what I'm picking up, um, you move up here. You're young. Yeah. Um, you're one of how many children? So... Um, from my mother, I'm one of three, but from the household I was raised in, essentially one of four. One of four. Um, and this is weird. It's awkward to talk about, but you're also, um, you feel different because you you are I, different. I you're am. only a minority in your family. Yeah. So like, what does that do for a young person when they don't fully understand the what's going on here? Why am I different? Like, you yeah. can't really wrap your mind And my grandparents that. aren't, again, you know, emotionally intelligent, Um and and that's no slight to them. They they have long passed, and I love them. And we we've come to turn, you know, yeah. before they passed, we came to a lot of terms of things. But it made things like haircuts. Like my grandfather would give our haircuts. Yeah. Well, he would give me a high top fade because he'd be like, "Your hair is so awful. Like we can't deal with mm. this." Like, you know what I mean? There was a lot of um, it's ignorance. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was really insensitive. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I love about what you're saying right now is that I think it's something. Um, the people that came before us, yeah. um, especially white people, yeah. white people, um, they were ignorant. 
Yeah, you know, and, and, I think, and they didn't. I don't think they were fully aware of their ignorance. You no, know, that's why I, it's ignorant. I think you my grandparents had their their own prejudices. Yeah. Um, and then I think that was expounded on when you have a, you know, your your daughter has a baby, um, and then you know is biracial, and that man is not there. I mm-hmm. think it just explodes those stereotypes in your head and builds builds on any you know prejudices you may have. And unfortunately, like there were times in my life that I. Um, was victim to their own prejudice. prejudice. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm willing to even look at my parents who are still alive. And like, in like over the the time, um, I, th- I think we forget our parents are the descendants of generally racist people. Yeah, you know, uh, and they pick up a lot of those subtle racist tendencies, and they're not fully aware of it. But at the yeah. same time. The, the only way they're going to become aware of it is if you correct them, if you say something. But you can't necessarily blame older generations because it's not their fault. Yeah. And like, so for me, it's been um, an interesting, I always joke like I didn't know I was black. I didn't know what black meant. Um, because again, and I, sometimes, I hate to admit this sometimes, um, especially something that's going to be on the internet. But it helps <laughs> people understand. I know. And I think it's more so important that we talk. Yeah. I, um, there was a huge level of shame in my race um, and into the fact that, you know, I would say now and rest his soul, I love him, but my grandfather definitely had a lot of prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and as I got older, that also became a point of tension. I'm like, you can't say things like that. You can't, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, they're just words, but those words carry meaning in that. that yeah. Meaning. And I had to at one point say to yeah. him, do you get that? I'm black. So when you're insulting black people, yeah. like you're insulting me when you're saying that that, part that, me, yeah. that person looks like they're going to steal. You know that somebody thinks that I'm going to steal. Mm. You know what I mean? And so having to break that down over time and you know what I mean? And and um, yeah, I think that there is a point, though, that you can. um and I had to, and I think that I think more people probably should, like you said, forgive that older generation and understand, you know, if we can soften that a little bit, yeah. right? If we can, if we can bring down that wall a little bit, that that's still success. Mm. It's moving in the right direction. Yeah. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it is happening, I believe, exponentially faster. People are opening I their think minds so up, too. which is super hopeful. But uh, what I'm getting, I think one of the elements of this is because of all the internalized issues you had yeah. as a young person, you did act out. You were. Oh, absolutely. You were a, a, a challenging child. Oh, absolutely. It's so funny because there I actually have and I just found it in like a, I have a I only have a small box of childhood things like photos and, and it's very, very, very minimal. There's a cutest photo of you on your instagram account that I saw <laughs> as a kid like laying on a couch i think oh yeah, yeah. and i still lay exactly like that. <laughs> i'm like a couch i'm a couch girl <laughs> <laughs> um, but i found this i found this piece of paper and it was a, a literally a therapist report um and in it it said um you know prescribe essentially more one-on-one time with um, you know, grandmother and Joanna. Joanna really is craving that maternal connection because I was not the favorite by any means. We we had a hierarchy and I was on the bottom. <laughs> and I mean that flipped in adulthood. Um but there there was a there was a section of it where it's a report back from my teachers. And I and I, you know, we're all in like a room essentially at the school and they're having like this little thing and my grandmother's like, She's awful. Like she just fights and she yells and she th- and I did. Oh my gosh, I did. I would I would throw hands. 
Um, and then there's a section that there's their teacher for back and they're like, she's excellent. I don't know what you're talking about. She's our favorite student. She helps everyone. She's amazing. She's communicative. Like she, she does, you know, she's great. And it, it very much um, highlighted where I felt safe and where I didn't feel safe, mm. you know, and I was the kid who did every single club activity and every single sport that I could because I felt like I was valued there. And I wasn't, and it's so the opposite sometimes for other people, right? Home is their safe space and school isn't their safe space. Yeah. It's a Um, complex system we live in for sure. Yeah. So sometimes when people talk about high school, I'm like, I, I loved it because it was, it was a place that I felt like I'm really valued and, you know, um, and I think from that I've built my life searching for places that I can bring value mm, I love that um, so when so was it in like high school where things started to like shift for you where like you became less of um, a challenge for no. other people or were you still no as a challenge uh, okay when, like at well, what t- point did did you, did you did you start to get more like like self-aware because you seem very self-aware oh, and see, you're forgiven. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think I've always, I've always had that because I've always had to survive. Yeah. You know, if you, if, um, how do I say this as a, as a means of survival, I've, I've had to forgive people mm-hmm. and as a means of survival, I've had to move on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've had to accept the traumas as they happen in real time. Um, which is if I could pass a skill on to people, that would be a skill that I would pass on. You know, I had to accept from an early age, my mom was not going to be, was not going to be consistent. She was always going to be selfish and always going to do what worked for her. I had to accept from an early age that my dad wanted nothing to do with me. I had to accept that there was always going to be a different part of me to the people that I love. Um, and it, I mean, it's been hard. Don't, don't get me wrong. I still, I still struggle. There's still things that, you know, get said or done or, you know, I'm a very liberal progressive person and my family is a bunch of conservative republicans and so we go to bat a lot you know what i mean but i had to i had to accept that they're they're not going to change you know what i mean and so all i can do is keep doing you know what feels right to me and also build outside of them another community that supports and understands me yeah so I mean, I like to say behind every great restaurant is a great person. Yeah. I mean, we're pulling back so many layers on this part of your life because I feel like you ha- you offer a very unique perspective, a unique story. And it's also how like this story is what made you into the woman you are today. Yeah. Right. So reflecting back at this time, looking at who you are today, how did this make you a better person today? If you could distill it into like a few words. Yeah, I think um, kind of what I touched on that um, as a trauma response, yeah. I... Um, find value in myself by bringing value to other people. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, by giving back is how I really, I think sometimes we struggle so hard to find purpose in life. And from a very, again, I think early age, I, I feel like my purpose was to help other people get what I never had. So feel safe and feel secure and feel valued. Um, and create spaces that people can have that. It sounds like a lot of like hospitality. It sounds a lot right? like hospitality. When you think about it, it's just like that making people feel safe, yeah. comfortable. At the end of the day, what the, 
people need to feel security. Absolutely. They, just beyond that, they need to be recognized. They need yeah. to be valued. They yeah. need to be seen. And that's, yeah. you found out at an early age that if you can make people feel safe, if you can see them, like literally see them, recognize them, let them know that you see them and recognize them, like that is a service. That is a, that in, in return, you, they reciprocate. Yeah. They value you. Yeah. I learned it when I was 13 working the popcorn stand at Lee USA Speedway. <laughs> nice. So when was your first time, like what was your first time working in the industry? At what point did you realize, like, I want to work in the industry? Um, it's funny because I rebelled and was like, I don't want to work in the industry. Why? Why? Um, because I think, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It can be draining, you know, when you're giving, giving, giving. Um, but no, so I started in the industry when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 working in a concession stand at a local little tiny racetrack. Nice. Um, and only because my grandparents loved the racetrack. And so they would go. I'm starting to sound like those conservative Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> they would go and then, you know, they just knew people and they were like, oh, did, do your grandkids want jobs? So we all worked there. Um and then from there, I went on to waitress um, and to bartend. And I remember I worked at this restaurant in Rochester, Granite Steak and Grill. Oh, yeah. And I was, and I still love it there. Um, and I was like maybe 19. And they just opened a tavern in the basement. It used to just be an upstairs restaurant. And they opened like a tavern in the basement. And I went up to Patrick at the time, who was the owner. And I said, I want to bartend. And he's like, no. And I was like, I want to bartend. I'm like, people like me. Put me on the box. And he's like, You're a child. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? I was like 19, yeah. I think. 18, okay. 19. Old enough. Old enough. Yeah. I mean, but like, we're talking, you know, I can't do math that quickly, but, you know, 15 years ago, you you didn't, you know. 16 years ago. 16, sorry. Thank you. See, I, still, I can't do it that fast. Um, well, that's why everything on our, my menus is on the 25 cent mark. It's easier math. I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, keep going. So you wanted this bar. Like, yeah. You want to be a bartender. I was like, I want to be a bartender. I want to be a bartender. I'm going to be good at it. And they were like, absolutely not. And so then I traded my very lucrative Friday nights, like like floor shifts, to, to um, do upstairs bartender, which, you know, just service bar. I was making no money. How long ago was this? So this so, 16 years ago? Yeah. Okay, never mind. I was going to say, I know somebody who worked there at one point. I was curious if you know, but keep going. Oh, I my, probably, my I probably do, though. I think it was less than 16 years ago. Oh, yeah. If it was in the, <laughs> I, would, I would say if it was more than 10, less than six, I could potentially know them. Um, it was about 10 years ago. Oh, maybe. Ariana is the name. No, no. Okay, that was quick. No, Um, so anyway, so I I just kept doing that and doing that. Um, And then, you know, someone called out on a Wednesday. And so then I was down in the bar and you know what I mean? And it's, um, I just started doing that and then bartending and then went, you know, was there for a little bit and then went over to a corporate side restaurant. I was at Uno's for a few years, which is a very interesting experience. But there's something to be said about corporate experiences. There, I, I think everyone should work at a corporate restaurant for at sure. least once. Why? Um, I think there's a structure to it. And I think there, um, it gives you a different, just a different perspective on it. Um, it's it becomes a larger picture 
too. And there's also some some fundamental supports that corporate restaurants get because they have a corporate marketing team and because they have, you know, all of these P's and Q's. Yeah. Uh, there's also the downsides to it. You know so, what I mean? Yeah. Well, talking about that perspective, what was that perspective? So you get a different perspective. So paint the picture of that perspective. What did you garner that you don't think you would have garnered otherwise? How did it open your eyes? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Um, I think kind of just what I touched on is that it just, um, it instilled such tried and true methodology of how like you run things. I don't necessarily agree. You know, I think I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but it really instilled, you know, like, um, a lot of times too in corporate, you have to pass certain skill tests. Right. And I think that sometimes I've worked in family restaurants where I'm like, what the hell is that person doing? <laughs> and why is the manager just letting this happen? And but it's because like the manager and that person are buddies or like that's the owner's son. And yeah. you know what I mean? Versus I think some what I at least in my experience in some of the corporate I only really worked in one corporate restaurant is that, you know, you had to prove yourself and and, and really learn. Um and it sounds so corny coming from like like an Uno's, right? To be like, I had to you know, I had to go on salad bar. You know, and yeah. I had I had to do expo and I had to learn those things to be able to get my bar shifts, mm-hmm. to be able to get those Saturday shifts, to get those Sunday football shifts. There's structure, there's organization, there's system, there's process. Yes. And it, it is much more connected, I think, than people wanted to admit than um, to a high end restaurant. You know what I mean? Where there's so much structure. Standards. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's so much um, structure and standards. Yeah. Um, How'd you do in that environment? How did I? In that, in which one? Because I've worked in, the, in high end it, too. Well, in the, well, in both, I guess, because you're comparing uh, corporate and high end as yeah. being similar because I, of the standards. Yeah, I struggle because I, <laughs> I like to do things my way. Um, but I, you know, I think I think it now as an owner. There's so many times I look back and I look at and I'm like, you didn't do the checklist. I know you didn't do the checklist. Yeah. The lights aren't on outside. Yeah, like um, one little thing. Like all you need to do is to look at one item on the checklist, and likely if that one item's not there, what else did you miss? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's simple. And like, how do you know this? Like, yeah. like they're like the, your employees must think you have some type of like secret voodoo magic oh, shit going they on. I mean you could literally pull someone and they would they would laugh because I'll walk in and be like you didn't do the checklist today huh and they're like what are you talking about and they and I can see them looking around like what did I miss yeah, yeah. and I'm like right there you didn't do the checklist let's pull the checklist out and let's go through it yeah but I think part of that is um for me I know I um peak if there is some forced structure on me and so I know for me to be able to be a good manager and overseer of people, I need to some degree people to fall in line with that structure profile um, or else I crumble and then they're going to crumble below me. Yeah. So, I mean, that's common. I wasn't surprised when you said that you struggle on the, and I struggle personally too. I'll be, I'll, I, I don't know if I've ever, I might've like publicly admitted this once. Um, I went for a job for, at Margaritas oh, yeah. when I was younger, when I was like in my mid twenties, I was working, um, you know, double time basically to pay off the school loans. Um, and struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I didn't make it through the program. Uh, I got cut because it's I, like an eight day program. Well, I mean, I get it. And, and I, and I encourage people to do what they do, but at the same time, like some, some people I, I thrive in chaos. I do best in chaos. 
uh, and sometimes like, and I will learn the systems and the processes, but I'll be the first person to admit too that I'm not a fast learner. Yeah, like, I struggle. Like I, it's, it, things don't stick with me. Like, I say to people like, me a bunch of times. chaos is silence for me. Yeah, because I grew up in chaos, mm. so that is that is my that is my white noise. I I now have had to learn that. Um, especially here when I'm managing people, they don't thrive in chaos. So I've had to adjust myself and that's why, you know, I have to put a little bit more structure. But yeah, I say that all the time. I'm like, no, people are like, oh my God, it's, you know, I'll get a frantic phone call. Like there's smoke coming out of the oven or this is happening. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll get, Sun's still going to go down and come up tomorrow. We'll get through it. I'm like, is there a fire? No. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Shut it off. There's an emergency valve. It's yeah, okay. What happened when you came in and sat down today? What knew, or you maybe you already knew before you came in and sat down. Oh no, no. That our that our keg cooler yeah. has uh has after just you know getting it fixed four times, uh that our keg cooler has just like shit the bed. Oh man. Um and a new one is like, you know, twelve, fourteen thousand dollars. But you wouldn't know that, like, yeah. you know, you have hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol. Thousands of, yeah. We'd, about to go. We thousands. Had, we had just, we yeah, because ju- yeah, we have, we have um, 12 beer lines. And so we just had, uh, yeah, a couple thousand dollars worth of, but what are you going to do? And, and, and I think that's part of it. Like, yeah. what, what am I going to do? I'm not going to yell at my bar manager. I'm not going to yell at the guy from, from Tibbs and Taps. I'm not going to yell at my vendor that it's $14,000. I'm going to say, okay, uh, order a bunch of cans. Let's change the list from change the wording on the list from drafts to cans and push espresso martinis. Yeah. But the point being <laughs> is that like you could, calm and collect. You, you could be freaking out right now, but you're sitting down and doing an interview. Like, yeah. There's no control. Like there's no point in stressing out what you have no control over. No. Right. Uh, but more beyond that, the, the, the vein of just what, what advice do you have along this idea of people who thrive in chaos, people Mm -hmm. who like small independent, that, that, that type of engagement with, or that type of relationship with their job, uh, that independence, that chaos, but recognizing that to succeed, you need order. You need process. And that's what you said is that you recognize that is as much as you love chaos, you know that you need structure to be successful. So yeah. what is that internal dialogue? Like how do you how do you talk yourself into discipline? Yeah, so um I'm still learning. <laughs> Very much still learning. But part of it is I I I first acknowledge. I don't think you can ever work on correcting a correcting a situation or find a solution if you don't acknowledge that there there is something that needs fixing. Mm-hmm. Um and so for me, like I schedule out blocks of time. Um, and like I said earlier, I kind of built my life with my several small businesses and the things I do that like I am three hours here and then I'm an hour here. And then I every day between a certain period of time, I, I force myself to sit down and answer emails. Well, that period of time is not four hours. That period of time is 30 minutes because I know that if I have a crunch on myself, you know, if there's a little bit of chaos, that 30 minutes I have to answer all of these emails. Um, and I also, and this is new within the last, I would say, year since I got elected, um, I don't punish myself anymore. I used to pun, I mean, not crazy, but I used <laughs> to like punish myself if I didn't do something, right? What if do you I, mean by that? What would punishment look like? Well, I would like, you know, guilt myself if I didn't answer this email and I'm like, oh God, I mean, let's, let's talk. We, you know, I'm avoidant. Like if I don't do something right away and then I feel like I've let someone down, I'm like, I can't text them back. I've let them down. No, I, re- I, I relate. I can relate. To yeah. That sure. So, so I stopped 
um, I've stopped punishing myself like internally and I've stopped apologizing for that. Um, I say, instead of saying, I'm so sorry, I'm late. Although I did say it to you because I do apologize because your time is important. Um, you know, a lot of times now I'll lead with thank you for your patience. Mm. You know what I mean? Instead of I'm sorry. Because well, what's what happens when you say yes to everybody. Right. <laughs> that's what that's your mantra. That's how we started this. Thing. I know. Uh, but at the same time, it opens doors. And that's one of the things I, I agree and disagree with that statement. Yeah. And it's one of those weird things. As I've been doing the show, as I've been talking to people, I get so much con like. Uh, what's the word opposing advice yeah right and that's the biggest one that comes up a lot of people say say yes to everything other people say say no to everything and i think both true statements are true i'm in a year of no just i think both statements are true and i think that early in your career say yes to everything yeah because early in your career you're still trying to figure out where you're going Going. you're still trying to figure out what your strengths are you're still you're still getting self-awareness yeah. right and you're listening to the universe the universe is giving you hints but the only way you're going to get those hints is if you say yes to everything eventually i think there's a shift that starts to happen where you're like you can only say yes to so much and everything you say yes to starts is something you have to say no to yeah right so as you get that self-awareness as you figure out your lane as you get more more understanding of where it makes sense for you to be you start to get a little bit more selective with those yeses right but yeah i think both are true what are you, what's going through your mind um that i wish i was more in a phase of being selective i get i think i, I think it's a sliding pendulum it swings yeah. it's not like an overnight thing I yeah think it slowly starts to happen yeah it's interesting right Anyway, I'm just thinking about how I said yes to something this morning. And I'm like, why did I so, say yes? Back to your story. Yeah. Um, so you're working in yeah. restaurants. Yeah. You started in a counter service at a racetrack. Yeah. That evolved to a local uh, operation. Yeah. At Granite Steak. Right? Granite Steak and Grill. Yeah. And then you went to Uno's. You got the corporate. But you also have yes. fine dining. We didn't talk yes. so about the fine dining. Well, so to, to expand on the Uno's, which is interesting, is that I actually left the restaurant part of it and went and worked for them in corporate marketing. Oh, okay. I worked out in Boston. How old are you at this point? Um, 21. Okay. 21, I think. Um, I worked for them. Have in, you dropped out of school yet? I dropped out of school. Yeah. When? Did, how many semesters did you do? Um, how many years, I should say? Yeah. So like, a, so a, a, like three and a half, three and a half so semesters. you're almost there. Yeah. Three and a half semesters. Half, half. Three and a half semesters. So I'm like a year and a half. A year and a half. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, this is when you're working at Granite State. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so I um, moved down to Boston. So Uno's used to have this this program. And again, I think this is some of the, the perks of a corporate is they used to have what, what they called LSM, local store marketing. Um, and so you would do like the marketing for based on what corporate wanted for your store. So you would book fundraisers and events and blah, blah, blah. And it was so I started doing it at the one up here. Uh, what back when there was one in Dover. And then they had just developed a new position in Boston where they were actually pushing them all together. So I was working for this woman, Stacy, who was at the time the VP of marketing. Um, and so I ran the store marketing program for Kenmore Square, uh, for Alston, um, for Harvard Square, and for Revere. And these are all the Unos around the Boston area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Boylston. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I had like a little tiny office in that. So the Boylston Unos is really interesting. It's like split down the middle. Yeah. Um, and so there's a tiny little downstairs dungeon and I had a little desk there. And yeah, so I did corporate marketing for them for around a, almost a, like around a year or so. 
Um, and at that point, I'd went, I had like a college fiance and we had broken up. And so I moved back home uh, and commuted into the city for a little bit and was like, this really isn't my jam. And got another corporate like marketing job for a company. But I mean, it also goes to show, I don't think you need to go to college. No. And like, and I think it's becoming increasingly more true, that statement, because we don't need that formal education to get information anymore. No. And it's so easy to get. Well, it's even, I mean, it's even so much different now. Like we're talking about, again, I can't do quick math. Uh, We're talking about over 10 years ago and like the internet wasn't what it is now. Social media was not, I mean, you know, back in the day with a Facebook, you had to have like a, a college address. There was no TikTok. There was no Instagram. There was no social media marketing. You were doing a lot of direct marketing. You know what I mean? There was a lot of... What do you mean by direct marketing? What does that mean? Uh, so there's a lot of like, um, you know, direct brand representation. Um, you know, there was just no like social, you know, you didn't make I it... I don't know. What does that mean? I, I guess I, I, I have to figure out how to describe it. Um, I mean, I have an idea, but I, I just... I want to make sure I I'm I don't want to put my yeah, so it's, it's it the, well it's the old school corporate you know corporate marketing thing where I would you know go to an, an an office park and like you know promote the business and promote a service that we offered versus now um, I you know a good example is like I wouldn't go to a hotel now if I'm marketing for Cup of Joe though I, I do because I still believe in so you know um, you're reaching you're 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 targeting your direct like audience versus a general audience. Yes. So I personally believe that direct mail marketing or just direct marketing yeah. in general. Yeah. And I lied. I do know what direct marketing means, but yeah. I want to hear your perspective of it um, is more powerful than social media. Yeah, yeah. You got to talk, you have to target your direct, you have to, you have to figure out and hone in your audience. And this is something I very much um, took a scale that when I ran for political office, I was like, I know who is going to vote for me. I know who's on the fence. I know who I need to convince and I know who I need to just don't worry about. Yeah. But direct mail, direct marketing is literally that. Like you yeah. could do social media marketing where you're basically creating a message and broadcasting it in like a shotgun approach, or you can put that message into a conversation mm-hmm. and you can talk to somebody and make yeah. eye contact with yeah. them and touch them on the shoulder, yeah. you know, and, and so find that, their need, their direct yes. need and fill the need in the moment. And listen. Um, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, so in my mind, it's four walls marketing is yeah. the king, right? What's happening? The best social platform is your dining room floor, mm-hmm. right? Then direct mail marketing, i.e., email and yep. flyers. I still think the open rate is like 100% on those yep. things, right? And then t- SMS marketing. Yep. Then, then, or should I should say e- SMS, and then email, and then I think social media comes yeah. after that. Yeah. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons we don't need to get into, unless you want to. <laughs> no, no, no. Would you have thoughts on that? Um, again, I think I think it's changing. Um, we know in certain industries that direct flyers and direct mailers work and we know in certain industries they don't. Um, and within the industry in different segments, you can yeah. make arguments yeah. too. And also, it also depends on the, the you know, age and demographic that you're targeting. We know that direct mailers work better for women uh, 40 plus. That they, they if, you know, they're more likely to purchase something or to Google from something from a fl- from a flyer than than their counterparts as males. Mm. Um, we also know that you can you can correlate direct clicks, right? Younger generations, uh, we find that you know on social media that they're direct clickers, right? If you put that little purchase icon, they're going to click on it. It's going to take them a link, and they're going to buy it right then and there. Um, so it, it depends too on on 
on the you know on the psychology of it all. Yeah. Um, but what's going through my mind? Uh, yes, to everything you said too. But within the restaurant industry, I think direct marketing in fine dining, for example, is more yeah. impactful than oh. in QSR. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to train people to be able to directly market to mm-hmm. your staff. They need to understand your business, what you're trying to do. They need to have the the I hate to say the the pitch the the script down, but the, yeah, every every industry and every restaurant has a five second elevator. Really, give me your thirty second elevator pitch. Go. But like, yeah, I think in the QSR world where you generally have people who um, are more transient, mm-hmm. uh, they don't really give a fuck. Yeah. You know, they, their sales pitch isn't going to directly affect their paycheck. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, it, you know, the, the one thing I've learned is the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything because we live in such a complex freaking yeah. world. So what works for you might not work for somebody else yeah. when it comes to marketing. But it's cool. I like to hear that direct mail marketing side of things because you don't hear a lot of it yeah being discussed anymore everything's about social media yeah everyone thinks just like toss it out and call it a day so you learned um about marketing yes and how what are the biggest lessons you think was there a key mentor that was here at uno that was coaching no, you in no? <laughs> i wish um you know no i feel like there's no no i was it was it's really was like and i think that's much like the corporate world right um you're on your own, kid. You better hit your goals. Yeah. You don't hit your goals. You don't get a paycheck. So you while know. you're doing all this working with corporate and yeah. working in restaurants, yeah. uh, server, a bartender, are you doing makeup on top of that? Yes. Okay. That's, a, yes. that's an element of what we, because to this day, you still are our makeup artist. Mm-hmm. So how did you- I did a client this morning. So the ADD is starting to come out, the career ADD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, what was that? I think again, but it's a good thing because you stay busy, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel like the easiest way to describe it is to give you like an overview of a calendar day, right? Okay. So like yesterday- um, I am up at 6 a.m. making sure my staff comes in on time. Every, every day at 6.15, I'm like checking the camera. Like, oh, they are there. Okay. Great. I love my staff, but, you know, they're, they're relatively younger. So yeah. sometimes they sleep in. Um, so making sure they're, they're good here. At like, you know, I'm up at, I'm up at 6, 5.30, 6 a.m. Making sure they're good here at like 6, 6.30. Uh, take my dog for a little bit of walk. 7.30, I head down to City Hall. Uh, I'm at City Hall from 7.30 to 9.30. 9 o'clock, I'm in my car. I'm driving to Dover to the studio. I'm doing hair and makeup for a client there. Uh, I'm coming back here doing inventory, uh, getting lunch, hanging out, going back to do another City Hall meeting, coming back here, making sure they're good. And then yesterday, for example, I was then at City Hall from 5 p.m. to 11.30. Damn. Yeah. And then on the weekends, doing weddings. So on the weekends, I'll come here, check make sure they're all good do all that stuff how does that serve you in your opinion um how does that like how does this lifestyle because i I've, i'm pretty sure we had this conversation yeah. in the past and you you say it, like it rejuvenizes you yeah right? yeah so get into how that 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 lifestyle of a little here a little there and a little here how does that help you and who you are yeah so it allows me to do the things i'm passionate about and make careers out of them um and i think so Often we sacrifice one love for another. I love hospitality. Mm. I love people. You're great at it, by the I way, love, too. Oh, and it's you. not every day I get to sit in the restaurant of the person I'm interviewing. Yeah. And this is actually a cool experience for me because I was I was a, uh, a patron of a couple yeah. Joe. 
um, for a while before you got referred to me organically to be yeah. a guest on the show. And I've sat in these seats and I've watched you engage with people and you are, you show up 100% for your guests. Yeah. Like you become their best friend. By the time they're walking out that door, <laughs> like they're trying to make plans with you. It's literally <laughs> what happened. And like, but that's so powerful. Yeah. I just like, I like people here. Here's it, it a, shows. here's a crazy thing. And, um, I talk about this now. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee and I'm not a foodie, but I will. I'm not a foodie so much that like when I go to a good example is Evan's restaurant. Evan Mallet. Evan Mallet. Evan Mallet. One uh, of my. The godfather of slow food. One of my best friends. I'm lucky. Um, he will dumb down his food for me because he knows I am a basic bitch. Well, he will dumb, dumb down his food for you. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna kill me that I said that. He's gonna kill me um, because I'm not a foodie, but I I I love food. I love comfort food, uh, and I love people. And so it's been a, it's been a funny way to navigate like the industry as you know what I mean when I'm working at a nicer restaurant. And I'm like I don't really want to try that dish, <laughs> um, but I sell a lot of it, and re- people really love it. That's funny, uh, but you, you honestly kind of remind me of this is kind of where you're probably not gonna expect this. You yeah. re- you remind me a little bit of Joe Rogan. Oh, a little bit. And the reason why I'm making that connection, yeah. I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. I know that yeah. not everyone's going to love that, that. I'm admitting this, but I think he's really a great interview. And I, I loved to- him on Fear Factor. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love the early Joe. Um, but he, um, one thing, because he's doing, he does so much. And people I are know. constantly like, you're an announcer, you're a podcast host, you're a stand up comedian. It's like my dream, like to do. <laughs> yeah. And like he just does, he's like, he's like, I don't really, really don't work that hard because everything that I do, I like. He's like, I hijacked life. Like, I enjoy these things. Yeah. And just like you, your passions are makeup, your passions, people. Yeah. Your passion is political um, awareness. Yeah. Right? And, and, and going out and jockeying for awareness. Uh, so you get to touch on all these little things. So you're, you're really just. Again, it comes back to the ADD of life and just yeah. and, and feeding your soul and finding that balance of like I don't I don't want to put words into your mouth. What's going? Through no, your I mind? feel like the way uh, you just said that like he hijacked life. Like yeah. I just I I figured out that um, through like corporate careers and all that stuff that I was never gonna I was never gonna be able to do that. Yeah. Also, I was not peaking when I was working until one in the morning, two in the morning, and and I also was. It's so it's so interesting because I think you know we have historically a problem in in our industry of of substance abuse. Yes, and I was like the opposite. I'm like I just worked really hard for this money. I am not going to go yeah. spend. For, I mean, I'd go spend it on other things, but um, so I really was like trying to figure out how to strike the balance. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, which was a, literally a fluke, I'd quit a job and. Um, my when you say this opportunity you're talking about a cup of joe cup of joe yeah was was a was a fluke because again i don't drink coffee so maybe now's a good, a good time <laughs> to segue into to, that to take a break thank our sponsors okay. and we'll be right back to talk about um basically how this this landed in, it sounds like it landed in your lap a little bit eh. no well how the opportunity yeah. came. okay we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by pop menu Look, I don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. 
pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. This is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located or what are your hours? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, your guests in-house. The time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back, and you kind of we we we've gotten the uh, the story of Joe before yeah. Joe Kelly before a cup of Joe. Yeah, uh, we got an idea of who you are and a little bit more. We're, we, I think we got into a little bit of present day stuff too, talking yeah. about how you're kind of hijack life. Uh, but how did this opportunity land on like? In, I don't know, make make itself available to you. Yeah, so um, there, it, I call it my my Liberty Snicket series of fortunate events. So I was at I have a good friend. His name also is Joe Kelly. Um, he is one of the founders of the Thirsty Moose restaurant chain and he owned Fat Bellies and Joe's New York Pizza. And I was doing just some like offhanded marketing stuff for them. Uh, and I was really just not happy with my corporate job. I had gotten turned up for a promotion. I turned down. You're still for- with Uno at this point. No, I'm now with a Verizon Wireless like subsidy. Uh, and I'd been there again, still bartending. That wasn't on your LinkedIn profile. I'm that was that. not on my LinkedIn because I do not wish them well. Oh, okay. uh, no, but I through all of this again, I still had bartended uh, here in in Portsmouth at um, what was Mambo um, that was opened. Um, I had worked there for a little for a while. Uh, the Martin Gill Wharf um, and some like other Kelly's Row in Dover and just some other smaller places um, while like having my corporate job. Again, fulfilling both those 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 monetary needs and also social needs. But anyway, so I quit. I quit my job. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll figure it out. Maybe I'll just do makeup and hair full time. Even though I hate that full time, I love it when yeah. it's my choice. When you have the balance, yeah. And um, so Joe, at that point, one of the partners from Fat Bellies was looking to get bought out. And he said to me, like, would you be interested? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> Hell no. I like to be able to cut the line. I like to be able to leave, yeah. but I don't. Um, but so what ended up happening is he said, like, you know, I need some management help. I, you know, some stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I'll start to help you just a little, a little bit bartend every now and again. So that kind of happened. And um, I was out in California again, because I was like, what am I doing with my life? Um I was out in California in San Luis Obispo, which is, I think, outside of Portsmouth and Savannah, Georgia, the only other place in America I would move. Okay. I absolutely love it. It's like, take the best of New England and put it in California. Where in California is it? So it's in Monterey. Uh, it's right near Monterey. So Central Cali. So it's about halfway between San Francisco and LA. Okay. I, um, I can see that. It is like... Um, 
is that where Big Bend is or the big no. Big Sur? It's Six like Big Sur, Sur. yeah. So there's area. there's it's red red wine country, it's 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 Pinot Noir country. It's what like, brought you out there? Uh, a good friend of mine um, who also worked for the same company who had quit <laughs> moved out there with her husband, and I was like, oh, I just want to come visit, and I loved it. Like fell in love. It is the restaurant scene there, the brewery scene, the, again the winery scene. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just so they have super blooms. It's beautiful. Anyways. Um, so we went to this brewery and uh, they had a sliding door. And I said, like, what's behind the door? And they're like, oh, we're a cafe during the day. And I was like, well, we kind of have that here uh, with book and bar. But I think I could do that better. And so um, and again, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> and so I came back and Joe and I were having a conversation about investment in another restaurant. And I said, you know, I really just want to do my own thing. Um, and he said, okay. And I was like, but you know, I don't have enough money to do my own. Why thing. did you really want to just do your own thing? What was intern like internally? What was speaking to you that said, I just want to do my own thing. Why? Yeah, I don't know. I know that sounds silly. I just, I don't know. There was just, um, some it autonomy. I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably like, I want control. Um, I'd also, uh, and I think a lot of women and some men in the industry will understand you take a, and I know that people sometimes are not sympathetic with servers cause they're like, they're making so much money. Um, there's a lot of abuse that goes on in, in restaurants and there's, there's a, there's a lot of harassment. There's a, there's a, and I felt like I never had backing for that. There's, I mean, the amount of sexual harassment that happens in kitchens when you're a 20 year old girl and that's a 40 year old line cook and you know the the amount of um, lack of safety and support I think sometimes that can happen in restaurants. Um, again, I think that goes to the autonomy that I was like, I, I, I want to be in this industry, but I don't want to be in that. I yeah. don't want to be. I don't want that. You want elements that you like, yeah. But you want to leave some of the other elements. Yeah, yeah. And so Joe and I had a conversation, and I, you know, I said I have X amount of dollars. I'm going to cash out all my savings. I'm going to go try to find a location. Um, and he had a location here. He had a, a what I call his hobby shop. <laughs> so we had the t-shirt, a, sure. the t-shirt yeah, shop. Yeah. I like that t-shirts, custom offensive t-shirts. <laughs> and um, it, to be honest, it wasn't really paying its bills. The, the rent here in downtown Portsmouth is exceedingly expensive. Oh, yeah. And he said, well, what if you took over that spot and I invested? And I said, okay, but like I need to be controller. Um, this is my dream. Um, and he said, okay, that sounds what, good. How long were you friends with Joe? How did you become friends with Joe Kelly? Okay. So this is a funny story. So I was at this point, I was working at Kelly's row in Dover. Um, Fucking love that building. You know how many times you'd be like, Oh my God, are you part of Kelly's? And I was like, right on the water. Yes. It was, it was, bar, uh, it was a little grungy. Let me tell you that St. Patty's there. <laughs> I have never made more money, never gotten so drunk and never, we would just smash things at the end of the shift. It was so fun. Sorry, so uh, no, yeah, yeah. So I, I was at like an industry night at Fat Bellies, and this uh, another bartender in town, Brian Whitman, uh, big Canadian Brian. If you're from Portsmouth, you know him. Uh, said Joe Kelly, have you met Joe Kelly? <laughs> and that's literally how yeah. we met. And that was, um, I think, now over ten years ago. Wow. Um, and I was like, no, nice to meet you. I'm Joe Kelly. And it's really funny because there's a there was a switch in the community here where people knew who he was, right? Like he owned a bunch of restaurants. 
kind of obnoxious. Love him, but very. I've, I've, I know the name. Yeah. Um, I've still to this date, aside from you, have met Joe Kelly. <laughs> oh, I'm the only Joe Kelly you've met? Yeah. Oh, good. But I, he's I'm, on my radar or something to talk to. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. He's crazy. <laughs> um, but anyways, so... Um, so, yeah, so th- so there's been a, a turn in town that, you know, I would think prior to five, six years ago, if you said Joe Kelly, that you thought of him, and now you say Joe Kelly. You're stealing the name. And it's my <laughs> name. But our names are spelled almost exactly the same. Uh, so he goes J-O-E, and I go J-O, but our last names are exactly the same, K-E-L-L-E-Y. So I am a Kelly. Not My last name is Cacciatore, but my, on my I mom's was, side. Did you just see the shock my in my face? My mom's maiden name. Is, is it Kelly. E-Y? But it's a Y. So my ex-husband's last name is Y. K-E-L-L-Y. Man, you can't get away from the Kellys. Dude, I'm I'm running from the Kellys. Yeah. So, (laughs) okay. So Joe gets introduced to you. What was it about your relationship? How long before he starts? I mean, what did he see? Did he ever say what he saw? You know what he says? He said, you you never asked for anything. Hmm. You know what I mean? I think, and and I think about that with my friends, right? That I now own a bar and a restaurant and my my true friends pull out their cards you know what i mean and i think that that has always been the dynamic between joe and myself that i was like no man i don't i don't need you to count my drinks i'm going to support your business you're my friend yes um i mean i'm going to cut a line back when it was like a glove (laughs) and we used to go um but yes yeah Yeah. i'll pay like I, i don't i don't need i don't need your money for your friendship so he knew he had integrity. He yeah. Knew, um, and he knew I knew how to successfully run things. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, you know, hungry people will always find a way to eat. Yeah. And so I think when you when you look at sometimes pairings, um, people always say, I, you know, when you really when you when you start to like follow some like investor podcasts and angel investors and the Mark Cubans of the world, they always say, like, look for someone hungry because mm. they need to eat. And Joe understood I I was hungry. What were you hungry for? To build something, to mm. build to build a life and to build to start to build my own identity and my own legacy. Um and and to build something that I I wanted, right? And and so anyway, so fast forward where you know I I I come back and I say I think this is the idea I want to do there and so we you know we work out the numbers, we do all that stuff. Um and we start construction. Wow. And I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Well, you don't know until you know, right? You don't know. I have like... You can't let not knowing stop you. Yeah, like I had this idea that we we're going to put like a full little kitchen in this area. And then like the build inspector is like absolutely fucking not. Before we get into the actual build out, yes. how you made it happen. Something that I want to highlight from your story, which I think is very critical. Um, you, from day one, communicated the intense in the agreement if we go forward i'm gonna be you're yes. you're just money yeah essentially you're yes. investing in this i have creative freedom when it comes yes. to so what what did that dialogue look like and how do we have this conversation yeah i mean sometimes it's a struggle especially yeah. when you do and i think sometimes what happens is we uh invest with our friends and we think it's gonna be all fun and games yeah um I have been lucky enough and and I'm very proud at this point. So so when I op- I openly talk about um you know we were we were equal partners for a really long time. I am now complete majority owner. Um Was that the plan from day 1? It was the plan from day 1 and we and it was the 5-year plan from day 1 and we're we will be 5 years old next month. Wow. Wait, yeah. so you did it early? 
Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that strictly fiscal? Because you did it earlier. Was there more cash flow than you anticipated? Did you, did you exceed expectation? Um, my expectations. Yes. <laughs> nice. I think, you know, I, I I'll say, you know, sometimes the struggle that I have, and you know, we openly talk about this, and I openly talk about it, is that when you have one partner who has a lot more. Um, ability to financially contribute there sometimes can be an imbalance of and you feel like there's an imbalance of power yeah um for us that's definitely you know the thirsty moose is a multi-million dollar brand they have you know seven stores they're they're you know he lives we live very different lives i'm still in here scrubbing the toilets and like wiping down the counter but i'm okay with that and that was that was the deal but also it's sweat equity yeah yeah and i don't think people i think it's kind of I think we're just outside of this this generation mm-hmm. um, of instantaneous yeah. gratification. Yeah, uh, things take a long time, and they don't happen overnight. Traditionally, in my advice, <laughs> this is my biggest advice to anyone who is you know a sweat equity partner. Um, you need to be the brand. Why? Because because there have been times that we say we've had disagreements, and I've said if you want to buy me out, be my guest because I'm the brand. You, they don't know you. Yeah, they're not. They're whether that's the, the whether that's the value of the staff. Wait, so this is conversations you did have? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Have have no fear. <laughs> fuck, fuck, I've done. I did that. You know. Okay. So, so it suggests it's being. It's a little suggestive that it hasn't just been peaks. There's been some. Oh, absolutely. In the I think all. I think all about all. Sure. Really, all. But it's awkward to talk about on a public platform. I know, Joe and I. But at the same time, very open. People. I love this shit because. Yeah. It's the real side of things that you don't get through mainstream media platforms, i.e. Thrillist, Eater, great resources to to kind of find out what's what. But from a consumer perspective, there's not a lot of resources out there for inside. Yeah. This is what you're going to face if you look to open a restaurant. These are the challenges. These are the things that could happen in a business relationship with a friend. Oh, I think this a a great example was COVID. Mm. Um, Because I... You guys opened two thousand seventeen, two years before the pandemic. Yes. Okay. Yes, but we were just we were just hitting our stride. Okay. You know what I mean? So what happened? Um, no, we opened in eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Eighteen. We were just hitting our stride. So what happened in COVID is that it completely stopped my life. Right, my basically sole income is this place. Um, and he was like, "Oh, COVID, I'm going to go buy a ninety thousand dollar RV and go sit in sit in QS for four months. Why are you stressed?" I was like, Joe, <laughs> fucking Kelly. We, what do you mean? Why am I stressed? I'm, unemployment is seventy five dollars a week. If you're a business owner, it's yeah. not. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, what are you, what are you talking about? He had, he had earned that privilege of yes. living off of his profit. Exactly, and, and that's the thing that we all are striving for. Yeah, you know, so you can't get mad at people for, for reaping the benefits of their hard. Absolutely work. not. But I had to sometimes, and still have to remind him. I'm not there. Yeah. I I know I'm not there. But I think that You're well on your way. He has seen the success in me and understand he's like, What are, what are you doing? You're there. You're getting there. Um but sometimes I have to be like, look at the bank account, I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> we have two very different And it's it's hard. Like and I, I kind of I'm experiencing this a little bit with restaurant stoppable. Like yeah. I'm I'm doing the work. I'm making a living from it. Like I'm here, but at the same time, if you want to grow 
the only way you're going to grow is if those that growth comes from your own pocket, mm-hmm. your own resources. Mm-hmm. So like I, Restaurant Unstoppable might be grossing more money than ever before. Yeah. But if you're trying to remove yourself from every element of the business, it's not profiting the same. Exactly. Because the money is going towards the, the, the yeah. people and the, yeah. the resources. So I yeah. totally get that. Um, and there's, so, oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's also um, and being very you know open like there's been creative struggles. You know what I mean? Like Joe is a throw it on the wall and see if it lands type of guy. Uh, I agree and, with that. You're not, I'm surprised you're not the same way, honestly. I am, but I, I like to make calculated decisions um, and calculated risks. You know what I mean? If Do do I need to sell boba tea because you're in California and you had mushroom coffee and think it's great? I don't, no, I don't <laughs> know if that's our demographic, Joe. Um, um, but also there's there are there are times that you know, I sit back and I am quiet and I understand that he started his first restaurant. He like purchased a pizza place. And at one point in the height of his things, he had pizza places in Vegas and, and all, you know what I mean? He had three here and, you know, he knows what he's talking about, but he also trusts that I understand what the current realities are. Yeah. He also opened a pizza business during prime pizza business time. And, and he also, where the margins were really great. Yeah, Before and you, flour and, and what, yeah. you know, like uh, dairy. And styrofoam. you talk about the thirsty moose being ahead of its time. Yeah. 10 years ago, there, no people laughed at the idea of having more than 10 t- beers on tap, let alone 119 or 109, whatever they have. Yeah. Um, but again, anyway, so so there, you know, there's definitely been struggle within. So let's dial it back because there's there's a couple struggles that you identified, yeah. and I want to see if we can't get a little bit more granular yeah. with advice on how to set things up. So from the very beginning, we, we we hovered over it a little bit. This idea of communicating very early on that if you're if we're partners, this is the agreement. Yeah. So what elements were in that agreement that we can put in our agreements if we want to have a similar situation where we want creative at the end of the day we're the operating partner yeah we are showing up this is our vision this is yep. this is this is me in a restaurant yep right and and mm-hmm. how do you draw that line yeah what, uh, a, yes, a your contract and have your own lawyer look over your contract that was a mistake i made in the beginning mm-hmm. that i will never make again uh and not that i think that you know joe and our in, in that lawyer didn't have our best interest but you know what i mean they're being paid by the company not by me mm-hmm. um but set, setting up very, very clear standards um, and getting it in paper, you know, getting, you know, uh, things on paper. There's cement it. Yeah. Yeah. And sign that contract and sign that memorandum or sign that amendment. Um, but also um, not devaluing yourself because you, you know, there was a, there was a period of time I devalued what my contributions were to the business because they weren't heavily financial. Um so making sure, you know, you, you have that for me, a big thing that I, you know, for the first couple of years, I wasn't taking a solid paycheck. I think I was taking them like $300 a week, but I wrote, I made sure to put a number on what my, my value was. So in our contract, you know, we have, um, you know, in, in the first version, you know, there's now been many, but the first version, um, I wrote down what the income should be. Um, for someone, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, a cafe, small restaurant and bar manager, um, and put that as workable equity. What was that number that you figured? I out? think I put 65,000. So you're basically saying that if, if I'm here, if I'm the operating manager yeah. or the operating partner, the, I'm at least going to make what I'm, 
a, a no. manager would make. No. Well, no, because I did not make that right away. What I what I mean is that I said that this is the value that I bring to the business, right? This is the earmarked number. I'm only paying myself half of that, which means that I'm technically putting $30,000 back into the equity of the business. Therefore, that needs to be compared against the money you're putting in. Okay. So... Y- you're basically saying I'm not getting this. Correct. So the equity in my sweat is worth thirty thousand dollars. Correct. So when we're factoring out how much you're going to put into this deal, correct. How you you added thirty thousand dollars to that? Correct. But where does that money go? Is it like it, it technically doesn't go anywhere because we're not expending it? But so how's that? But, what's that look like on paper then? It looks complicated. I mm-hmm. mean, it looks like lawyer jargon, yeah. but basically, it 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 spells out. That this position has has value, um, and if we were to have somebody else do it, that would be an expense. And and also, it writes out the sacrifice because you know you're putting in thirty thousand dollars cash. I'm putting in thirty thousand dollars of equity that I of of value. of value that I could be making somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I could be making that paycheck somewhere else. So understanding that concept. Got it. And that doesn't work for everyone. And you said something that kind of slid by real quick. There's been multiple agreements. Yeah. Which I think is important yeah. to talk about because whatever you agree on today doesn't necessarily have to be what we agree on three years from yeah. now. Because that the world we live in changes. Yeah. Right? Our our perception of what's gonna be isn't always accurate. Mm-hmm. So how did you did you work in a way to have an amendum? Yeah, yeah. And, and again, part of that is all like lawyer talk. Um, and so, yeah, but we, we've had amend, amendments. Um, you know, when, when COVID happened, there was still some money lingering that, you know, was from the initial investment that was like, okay, we have to decide how we're doing this. If, in fact, say we closed down, there was a period of time that there's um, a picture on my Instagram um, that somebody took of me, and this is just a you know, side, a little side topic that I'm sitting in here when COVID had shut us down. Um, and I, there's nobody on the street, right? It was, it was like the rest of America was a fucking ghost town, but I'm hands in my, in my head in the, in the main window. And somebody took the photo and then a few days later sent it to me and said, you know, I think you should see this photo of yourself. I think this is a very good Real. representation <laughs> yeah. of what, you know, and it is to be a restaurant. On yeah. And now. so, so I, again, trying to figure out what we're going to do say like we should draw up a draw up something that it says like if we have to close what happens with you know this money and the in these assets and if you're owed this much and i'm owed this much and you know so but part of that is being able to work with one of your close friends mm-hmm. and i trust joe to the nth degree and joe trusts me why we, do you trust joe you know because the same reason i think he's never asked anything of me um, and he's, he's always from the moment we met, we just accepted. We don't always like each other. We don't like the quirks about our personality. We, um, I say that he's like a husband I don't have to sleep with and can just send home at night. <laughs> like I get the, we get, we, you know, get the best parts yeah. of each other and then yeah. can just go our separate ways. Um, but part of that is being able to understand that like he's going to respect and understands me enough to know when I'm struggling and, and vice versa. And you know what I mean? And respecting the kooky ideas that he has or the kooky ideas that I have and stuff like that. Um, but being able to trust and not be fearful of your partner. I think that's the biggest. 
trust and, the speed of trust yeah and i've and i've seen it you know not to call out any people but i've seen it in our community where we have some you know bigger investors that invest in a lot of projects and people want out of that arrangement and you know the the, the bigger partners like i'm never letting you out or, or they, they they assign a arbitrary number yeah, yeah you can buy me out for 10 million they trap people yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Joe and I have always had these really frank conversations of like, you know, if you want more of this business, you can you can buy it at a reasonable cost or you can earn it at a reasonable rate or, you know, te- you know, is is there more, you know, what do you want out of this? So when you guys got started, you said five years, I want to I want there to be a swing where we, you go from 50 50 partners. Yeah. To, where is the relationship today? If you don't mind 60 40 with and I have uh, majority majority and all voting rights okay. voting majority too. So when you say voting majority, you're saying like big decisions. Well, so that so that's the other part of a contract that I think people don't understand. You can be ownership of 50 50. But if voting rights, which you your voting rights is your if when you're a membership, right? And LLC or how your corporation set up. You can never have 50-50 voting rights. One person's always going to have 51 and one person's going to always have 49 or however that swings. That's yeah. just legally you can't have. There has to be a majority. There has to be a majority. Um, and so making sure that I had that voting majority also because you can have majority of ownership and if you don't have majority of voting, you know, when it comes to actual, you know, membership votes, you lose. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice when you I'm going to share advice. With yes, you, right? please. This do. isn't my advice. This is advice that you might hear somebody say. Yeah. Don't ever go into business with a friend. Yeah. I wouldn't mm-hmm. disagree. You don't disagree. <laughs> I thought you would disagree. I after think be very, very careful. So I, I kind of lean in that direction that like, listen, I when I think about the people that I want to go to business with. Yeah. I immediately th- think of friends and family. Yeah. Usually because I trust those people. Yeah. And when I don't know, like I see the downside of going into business with friends and family, but I think the people that do that either a don't know anything about business, so they yep. end up screwing themselves mm-hmm. over, or b have shitty friends and family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to say I, it be like completely, but there's like why wouldn't you want to be around the people? Our you friendship love? has struggled. Oh, but uh, yeah, but that's life. Yeah, yeah, but but sometimes you know, sometimes and Joe and I have these conversations. We just had this conversation the other day because uh, he's out in Vegas and he's like, "Can you come out? Like, we're here for the month. We rented a house, blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah, my schedule's really busy, buddy." Um, but you know, there's sometimes we'll, we'll be on the phone and you know I'll be having a hard day and he's one of my best friends, so I'll call him and I'll be like, "I don't want to talk about work. I don't want to talk about the shop. I just need my friend." Mm. And he'll do the same, and so. But you, you know, or sometimes, you know, we'll have these arguments and they're probably more intense than if he was just a regular business partner. Because yeah. I'm like, you're not listening to me. We've <laughs> yeah. had this fucking conversation. Um, but I, I think you, you know, you have to make sure you carve out friendship time. And you also have to, and I don't think this in my circumstance, but, you know, I, I, I think you have to be ready to think about if, if this went sideways, would I be okay with losing this friend? Mm. You know, and, and also I think it's different if you're investing versus you're both working it, or, you know, and, and I've had, you know, my cousin opened a hair salon with her best friend and that was the end of their friendship. And, but I've, I've seen it go both ways. Yeah. So you're five years into this. Now. Yes. Knock on whatever. Looking- Is that when I'm supposed to start making money? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, five years into yeah. this. <laughs> with the evolution of this space. Yes. Reflecting at 
how you've evolved mm-hmm. as a business owner and how your business has evolved. What are the biggest transitions, the biggest impacts, the biggest evolutionary impacts, both yeah. business and personally for you? Yeah. So I think business wise, what's really funny is we've always been, um, and this is my fault from branding. And I, I think about co- constantly how I, we need to do a rebrand. We've always been a bar. Since the day we opened, we had a liquor license. And five years later, people still come in and say, oh, my God, I can get a beer there? Oh, my. Why? I had no idea. I'm like, that's my fault. I f- the One of the reasons why I fucking love this place <laughs> when I keep on coming back is because I like to drink coffee while I work through, through yeah. the day. And then once like five o'clock rolls around, yeah. it's time to, to start with the downers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have to move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. I always joke like we are literally like, you know, espresso then Prosecco. We... You know, a good a good thing is like on the weekends, like a Saturday, we are open from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Mm. I mean, sorry, 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. We are open. How many days a week? Uh, so we're open seven days a week. Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we close at 6 p.m. The rest of the nights we're open at least till 1130 and midnight. We have open mic nights on Wednesdays. Um, we Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday. Is this the Fr- case from day one? Uh, so this is since COVID. So we did have live music, um, but it was like slowly picking up. What really happened is you have to um, you have to take opportunities when they hit. There was a really great place here in Portsmouth that I love that I miss, Spring Hill Tavern at the Dolphin Striker. Yes. They unfortunately closed after COVID. They had live music all the time. Yeah. I knew a lot of the guys who played there and I said, what if you can play at Cup? So then, so for the last two years, we've had live music all those times. And we also do like, you know, a, an evolution of the business too is filling in those, those dead days during the winter. Um, so, you know, you know, we're starting a paint, we're doing a paint night next week and not one of those corny like boat ones, but like a, a real, like we brought in a muralist and she is amazing and she's doing a lot of color theory and fun things. You're and then the strong stars on a map. No, my gosh. Boat. I'm like, how many of those Starry boats night? did is I have? Thing? Is that what it's called? <laughs> You're like, how many yeah. snowmen did I paint up those siphons, like siphon paints? So it sounds like if I can put it into different words, you transitioned from a cafe that yeah. served alcohol and um, you know, coffee in the morning, yep. alcohol at night to more, you're more of an event space. You're, you're looking at the value of, of events. Yeah. And, and looking at just the value of like a community space. You know what I mean? We, we are hosting, we host drag shows. We're hosting, we do monthly queer nights that are like 21 plus and social events. Um, so I, I guess I should have said this in the beginning. My desire and kind of like when I'm interviewing people and I'm like, this is the the mission of CUP is to create a fully inclusive environment where everyone feels welcomed, everyone feels safe and everyone feels free to be the, themselves. Yeah. Um, and that you goes, alluded to it. Yeah. That was what you didn't like about. The yeah. And that goes from staff to customers. Um, we somehow through the through a fluke of, you know, no intentionalness. Um, have become a real safe haven for um, the queer community. Most of my staff either, you know, uh, self-identify as non-binary or trans um, or within, you know, some spectrum of the queer community. I myself as an African-American woman obviously create a safe space for that, Mm -hmm. that space. Um, And and that was intentional, but like it, it was an unintentional side effect of being intentionally open for people. Um, and to be, you know, the unintentional side effect of being intentionally open for people. Yeah. Is that, is, is you becoming, you, I, I wanted to be open for, you know, what I considered my community. There's, mm. I'm one of the only black businesses in Portsmouth, the only one downtown, the only one bl- brick and mortar. I'm one of the only, uh, you know, 
a couple years ago, I, I helped organize a, um, a group, the New Hampshire BIPOC uh, Business Association. One of the only restaurateurs that is a young black woman. Um, and so, you know, I really was kind of living in that space. as like a, a safe space for women and a safe space for people of color. And then through that transition, I mean, because we know there's so many, so many similarities into a safe space for, for the queer community, too. Just being open-minded translates through so many verticals. It's not when you're open-minded, you're not open-minded to a, yeah. a, a segment of reality. Yeah. You're open-minded, open. And protected. 360, 365 degrees or 360? 360? 60 degrees. 65 days. Jeez, what are my numbers? <laughs> uh, but you're you're open to everything. So when you're open to like one, like when you when you open yourself up, yeah. like you said, it's an unintentional side effect of being intentional. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's super powerful. It is, but also protecting that space. Mm. How do you protect it? So like I think my staff would say, I, I don't fuck around. Um, I don't allow people to be disrespectful in here. Uh I don't, my staff can come here and be their true selves because they know that I will go to bat for them. A great example is we had, we had an incident. We run a really small kitchen, right? I am not a chef. I have great chef friends and I'm like, hey, is this an acceptable sandwich combination? Um, Hey. The food game has over time evolved. It has, it has stepped up. It has stepped up. Uh, We now bake in house. We do, you know, but part of that is we don't have the space to do everything we want to do. We've, we've outgrown this space. There's just no other good space for us to go to but i'll just tell you a little story about how um uh, my staff know that they can call me for any reason and i will be here as quick as i can and if not i will get somebody here i always know somebody downtown and i will get you there well um a couple summers ago um it was like a sandwich mistake right like someone put you know white american instead of white cheddar on a sandwich and this this gentleman was just irate right we all know there was a phase right after covid where people were so fucking kind and then they became assholes again. Yeah. And so she she just, for some reason, like was really rattled by it, right? The guy was really rude. He was loud. And I'm a person who I'm like, if they don't like it, ask them what they want and get them out the door. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The last thing we need when we have a line of 20 people out the door, which happens- Is a debate. Is yeah. a debate. Yeah. You don't like your mocha? I sell 25,000 mochas a year. It's like, what would you like different? Like, if there's yeah. nothing wrong with the mocha, yeah. it's a you thing, but we'll just, just get them out the door. You don't prefer our method of doing this. Correct. Yeah. I am not an arguer. I am like a, I will try to fix it, but I demand the customer articulate yeah. what, you know, I, I think too often we put it on ourselves to be mind readers. I'm like, sir, what didn't you like? Anyway, so she is texting me. She's like, this guy's being a really big dick. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, pull up. Um, he pull called. Up. What do you mean pull up? Oh, I like like I physically pulled up in oh. front of the shop. I'm like I'll pull up. So he called her dumb. He in- insulted her in front of like other customers. He was really rude. So I walk up to him politely. I'm like, hi, sir. My name's Joe. I'm the owner. I hear there was an issue, and he's like, yeah, you're dumb. Whoever, whatever they are in there, because they were very androgynous. Um, can't even. What's, ma- what's the definition of androgynous? Uh, so it's like you you blur the aesthetic lines of male and female. Okay. Um. But anyways, so um, just really insulting to my staff member in front of me, then called them like dumb or stupid. And I said, "Okay, sir, that's great. And I pulled the plates. I said, we're going to give you your money back. Like we we would not like your business. You're not going to insult my 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 staff like that. And his wife mortified. No, everything's fine. I'm like, no, 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 we're good. You folks can leave now breaking up. Yeah. And and I think that I encourage you can leave now. It's weird because like we're in this world where like good service (laughs) 
is sometimes I think mis- misconstrued with just bending over for everybody. I'll tell you the line I've used forever. I am your server, not your servant. Yes. And and I think that we need to, as an industry, be a little bit better. We always try to do each other, outdo each other mm-hmm. with how much we're willing to take it. I'm not taking you know? it. And I think that as a, as an industry, collectively, we need to draw lines of saying, yeah. listen, like yeah. you cross the line and um, it's my responsibility to keep you in check as a fucking good citizen, as I, a good person. I also... We all should do that. Not just the restaurant industry, oh, but we should all hold each other accountable. Absolutely. I also do not deal with sexual harassment in my restaurant. Um, that is from staff to staff and or you know, guests. We've had... And it's such the industry, right? Like you are, when you are um, a young woman who is pretty or, or an attractive male and you know, you're a little, you know, a little flirty and that's like you, you, but your job is to create a bond. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, your, your job is to create interpersonal relationships with your regulars and your customers and give them that homey feel. But there's sometimes that that homey feel can be misconstrued by the guest. And there have been a couple moments in time where I feel like, guests have been inappropriate and I've shut it the fuck down. Give me um, an example. Uh, so we had a 20 year old girl here who was, who, you know, was my, one of my shift leads and, and worked. And we had a gentleman who worked across the street at another place. Um, and he would constantly like ask her, he was 40 years old. It was very clear. And she would, he would say like, do you want to go get a drink? And she'd be like, I'm 20 years old. No, thank you. Like she, you know, she handled it very well, like as polite as you can. Um, and then one day he, followed her from here to her car that's sketchy yeah and like you know it was just on the street but he was like listen i really want to go out with you i don't know why you won't go out with me and she's like you're making me feel really uncomfortable like but again she's a 20 year old girl so she didn't say it like that she was like no no thank you um because i think you know we could go into a whole segment of you're you're trained that like you don't know what a man's gonna say when you say no they yeah. could just walk away they could haul off and like hit you with a machete i mean that's it's the reality i think ck lewis says it the best he says that the um most dangerous thing for a man is a heart attack the most dangerous thing for a woman is a man (laughs) um but so a good example so i walked over to to him at his job and i said like you're making my staff feel uncomfortable you're inappropriate and not you know and i'm an older not older woman but i'm 30 at the time you know 31 and i was like she's 20 years old and he looks me down the eyes because well she's been flirting with me and so that's her problem and I'm like, how's she been flirting with you? Whatever his name was. And he's like, well, she's just nice to me. She's always asking how my day was. And I'm like, so she's doing her job. Yeah. I was like, you have one more chance. And then like you're banned from the restaurant. He came in and he said an inappropriate comment about what she was wearing. And I was like, get the fuck out of my restaurant. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's a weird place, you know, because it is our job to be hospitable, to yeah. be warm, to be generous, yeah. to care. Right. That's what we do. And some people, I think, struggle with social intelligence. Yeah. You know, they don't know where that line is. But at the same time, there are circumstances where, say, what if a 30 year old man walked in? Yeah. And there was a 24, 25 year old woman working. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was actually some chemistry there. Oh, yeah. That happens. You oh, can't ignore Oh, it's that. happened here. People people yeah. have like met. So like I've that's, met people that's, here. We're human. At the end of the day, we're fucking human. Yeah. And sometimes we bump into people that mm-hmm. we like. Yeah. And it's, that's how we meet people. That's what happens. But at the same time, there is a professional line. Yeah. I think for me, it's a little different because the, the average age of my staff is under 21. And it's very yeah. clear that they are young 
a lot of them throughout the period of time have been young women. I don't know where the line is. If I'm being yeah. completely fucking Oh, honest. I can tell you where the line I think is. I think Back the fuck up. <laughs> it, well, it's, 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 it's case by case. It's, yeah. it's scenario by scenario. Yeah. Uh, we don't live in a, a cut and dry world. Yeah. There aren't straight lines. In rea- like the, the only thing, the only place you find straight lines is when a human made it straight. Right? Yeah. So the world nature is fucking chaos. Yeah. Right. And we got to acknowledge that chaos. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we have to acknowledge professionalism yeah. and common courtesy. Yeah. Where is that? Lisa, you know where that line is. Well, I think I think good, good human sense knows where the line is. Um, if you have a daughter that could could be one of my employees, you probably shouldn't be hitting on my employee. Um, I also think that there's a period of time that, and again, I'm not like a, I don't want this to come off as like, I'm a man hater, blah, blah, blah. But I think that there is a lot of uh, heat for that. I did a little bit of research. Oh, I got a lot of heat about that. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt I'm your okay train with of thought. It. Keep um, You're not a man hater. I know, because like men are just so belittled in life. <laughs> um, um, but no, so, you know, I think that, and again, I experienced this as a waitress. I, you know what I mean? I experienced, you know, it's it's one thing to get to get hit on and blah, blah, blah. But like, when you're making somebody uncomfortable, yeah. you know when you're making someone uncomfortable. And, yeah. and especially, but some people don't. And that's the thing that I think we forget. And No, no, no. So, so I do think things can be handled different, differently. A good example is we, we do have a gentleman who comes in here who, you know, is on the spectrum. Uh, and I've had to say to the staff, listen, you could be in, like inferring that differently. Like he, he's, he's no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, he's, this is just who he is. And so we, again, part of being an open, safe space has been an open space space for everyone. Um, and I've had to have those conversations with some of my staff. I was like, listen, like, I think you're reading too much into this, but I'll monitor the situation. So part of it is it's my job to make sure they feel safe and to explore any situations where they're expressively saying that they don't feel comfortable. And I think there's a different responsibility of that when you're a woman who employs mostly young women. And it's also part of my job. And, and we have somehow, again, with no intention, you know, a lot of our staff don't have the best relationships with their parents or don't have a lot of guidance or grew up in somewhat similar situations to me. Yeah. You're alluding to something that I was going to like, I, I agree with everything yeah. you're saying. I want to make sure the record shows I agree with everything you're saying. I think I think it's a yes and scenario. Yes, like there are, we need to respect people. We need yeah. to. We can't make people feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Like, Got to use some social and emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a two way street. Sometimes I think yes, yes to everything you said, and we could be so much better about it. I think we could also be better about teaching young people how to communicate. And that's yeah, that's what I was alluding to. The second yes. pass is, is teaching them. You know what I mean? Um, it's not always sexual harassment. It's not. It's not always harassment. It's <laughs> yeah. not always harassment because of your gender. It's not always harassment yeah. because of your race. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just people having a shitty day. These we all have different. We all see the world through it different. Yeah, ways. we all have past trauma and issues, personal identification issues, mm-hmm. or maybe it's it's maybe I don't want to say it's an issue to, to identify that way. But yeah internally we've struggled with things of course you know we all have trauma and we see the world through that that filter through that yeah. lens of our perspective this is actually a question i had for you yeah um i'm kind of i'm getting, getting ahead to it do you think your trauma mm-hmm. affects how you see the world and interpret social situations i think i've done an immaculate intense amount of therapy and and self-regulations to not 
allow it to see everything, mm-hmm. to see everything through that filter. There was a huge period of my life. Again, I think this is just the last five years of my life that I don't see everything through a trauma lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm trying to work with, say, some of the, my younger staff or X, Y, and Z, I'm like, listen, you're super sensitive to that topic. That doesn't mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean you're wrong. But you have to understand the world isn't running under that guise of trying to intentionally hurt you. What's making you explode eternally right now isn't even on the radar of that person. Yes. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's that they're not as close to it as you are. Yeah. Uh, And I think that we, um, and every direction could be more open-minded and empathetic of the other perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to say because there's, there's certain scenarios where there's definitely a victim. Yeah. But I don't think most people go out of their way to be an asshole to somebody. No. Some people do. There's some real douchebags out there. Yeah. Majority of people not even on their radar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're just oblivious to it. Yeah, and you know, there's conversations I have with staff and, and with myself too. I'm like, there's a big difference between somebody, you know, making you really uncomfortable and saying suggestive things to you than like a drunk asshole just being an asshole. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And 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 just being obnoxious. So that you have to kick them out. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's yeah. there's guidelines, but again, again, it's not black and white. It's not a straight line. It's, there's I have a different comfort. I've been in this industry for a long time. I have a different level of comfort than um, somebody who's 18 and just getting into this in- industry. And I think the world we live in, we don't. Um, there's so many alternative forms of communication mm-hmm. that we don't get as much repetitions at the most long or with the most what's the word i'm looking for the the most close to human communication there yeah. is face yeah. to face you know um we've gotten we're so dis especially people who were like you know in those formative years 16 mm-hmm. 17 18 during the pandemic when they would have been getting out into yeah. the real world developing those soft skills they couldn't do it no nope. now they're 19 years old they're allowed to work again yeah and they have to start with like and i think we could just be mindful of that yeah for sure yeah. Um, anything we have not discussed up to this point, as far as your success, you, you're giving us great like life lessons. I know. I'm not uh, really much talking about the restaurants. I know, but it's it's, it's pivot. But it, it's it's indirectly associated. Yeah. You know, and like these are the things that we don't let people don't really talk about. Like, is there a granular thing you want to talk about? Uh, a business advice, like operations, systems, processes, marketing, like things that we did not discuss that you were hoping we would get into. Um. No, I feel like we've touched a lot, but you know, to to dive into again, like my marketing theory is I market towards different uh, demographics very differently. You know what I mean? Like um, our, our segmenting. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think you have to do that, especially when you're so in like this business model and like what we're doing here that covers so many different um, so much, so much of a different spectrum. You know what I mean? We have our people that, the people I market into that are going to come here in the morning, get their coffee and their bagel and their breakfast sandwich and like run out the door are very different demographic than the people who are sitting here all day on their laptops or having meetings here and bringing people in. And those people are very different than the people who are here at 11 p.m. getting espresso martinis. Mm. Um, so for me, you know, when when I redo quarterly our marketing plan, I really have to take into, OK, what segment am i trying to grow right now okay. how how do you create these segments do you have a list of all the- yeah i do i do and, and, and a lot of times what i do too and we use a very basic pos system we just use square because we were able to negotiate a really good rate it's really easy again i uh, uh, i try to streamline as much as i can if i can do everything on one platform if i can run my payroll offer my benefits offer um, my scheduling all of that stuff in one platform and I can negotiate a good rate that is comparable to bigger things, I'm absolutely going to do that and run it from my iPhone. 
That's amazing for me. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I run those those reports, you know, usually weekly uh, during sometimes a year in the summer, like biweekly, because we, we're we also really interesting because Portsmouth uh, is only a town of 24, 23 to 24,000 people. But daily, we have about 50,000 people that run into the city during season, you know, from June to um, Indigenous Peoples Day in October. We're upwards of 150 to 200,000 people. In, in Growing up in this area, you kind of forget that Portsmouth is like a seasonal, like, it's a vacation spot. People come to this Yeah, area. yeah. And so, you know, it's, again, the way we market in the summer is different than we, the way we market and what we focus on in the winter. In the winter, we're, we're constantly pushing, you know, our, our we have a mug club, so it's $25 a year. You bring your coffee mug, you get a you get a 10% discount all the time. They're beautifully, like, displayed in the front. I can tell you stories of some of the people. Um, but we're really marketing towards those people. Locals. We're, we're, yeah, we're marketing from the people who want to. You're twenty percent. That's responsible for eighty percent of your revenue. Yeah, yeah. Which, what's really I love, um, and obviously you can only track all of this through credit card sales. You can't really track cash sales unless they're part of like a loyalty club. Um, we're not that extreme, so we have a huge local presence even in the middle of the summer when we say we're doing. Uh, which is so crazy because sometimes I toss out these numbers and they seem so small. But when you think that our average sale is $8, you know what I mean? And, and some days smaller. Um, some days, you know, our average sales is five twenty five because it's only just a coffee and a donut type place. Uh, and we're not getting a lot of a crazy amount of food sales or, you know, you know, on a, on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we don't get a crazy amount of drinkers. So therefore, like our ticket, our ticket prices fall dramatically. Um, but when you think that we do... On a on a Saturday in the summer, we're doing forty five hundred individual units. You know what I mean? That's a huge number. That's wow. a huge number of individual products to be pushing out of a door. Um, it, it it gets kind of crazy. And and then when I look at you know, in the summer we definitely get heavy um, for tourists. You know, you know, foot get, traffic. Yeah, yeah, we're like you know seventy percent, but thirty percent of those locos. This time of year, we are we are the opposite. Twenty thirty, uh, like like thirty per thirty percent. But part of that is because of that volume is so high. So like yeah. our our locals that are here, um, are actually spending more money, right? They're getting their daily breakfast sandwiches, they're getting their lunches, they're here having beer, they're here sitting working all day, ordering multiple beverages and having meetings and bringing people in. Uh, I always thought it was really funny that there was another coffee house in town that closed down right after we opened, which was uh, a legacy, B&G, Breaking New Grounds, which people still to this day will come to me and it's like, oh my God, you had such great time and you're so smart. I'm like, I did not know those motherfuckers were closing. Yeah. Right. It was amazing. Well, I mean, you also had Tuscan Market. Yeah. That, was it called Tuscan Market? There was a It's a still Tuscan sh- Market. Yeah. So so Breaking, so the owners of Tuscan Market, or Tus- Tuscan, Joe Faro, um, bought breaking new grounds because he wanted a flagship store for his Tuscan market brand. They did do a little bit of coffee, but it never really took off. And now they've changed to more of a, a lunch, yeah, lunch, lunch spot. I mean, they did have a cool thing going, but that stopped. So you're really kind of taking over the coffee. Th- I would call it a third place. Yeah. And you definitely give off third place vibes. So yeah. Do you know what I mean by third yeah, yeah, place? Yeah. It's a third wave, yeah. yeah. So, it, well, what I mean by third place okay. is that it's not home. It's yeah. not work. Yeah. But it's a place you can go. Oh, yeah. And, and hang out yeah. and get work done and it, and feel it's like my place. To, that I see this as a third place. Yeah. I feel very comfortable having a cup of coffee and a sandwich yeah. and hanging out for three hours. Yes. And so, th- so that's what I was going to touch on there. There are other places where I felt like you 
you weren't well there weren't outlets at tables there weren't like welcoming like oh yeah come sit it was more like turn it over i tell my staff the people that you see sit here all day those pay our bills Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they're here every single day you should know that alan likes his decaf coffee and he's going to come in for one refill and then he's going to switch over to iced coffee you know what i mean like that again that is the people aspect behind this place that I love. Mm-hmm. And that's the people aspect behind, you know, I love walking in and, you know, I see, I see Matt sitting at the bar and I know he's, I know he's there. You know what I mean? And I know he's, I know what he's going to order. And I love that, you know, Kenny from next door always comes over and gets the same things and, um, you know, establishing and growing those relationships. And again, marketing to those people differently than, I do to a tourist. So what is your process for putting these people into different groups and segmentations, mm-hmm. different lists? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, part of it is just, you know, tracking how, how much they come, what they get. Um, so you do have some kind of data that you're getting. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I get that all from our, our POS. And it's, it's, it's actually, let me tell you, one of the, when I um, started using Square and I was like, this actually, and Square has just launched a Square for restaurants. Okay. I was just going to ask literally that question. Are you yes. using Square or Square for restaurants? Square for restaurants. Big difference. Big difference. Yes. I mean, you know, but some of the, ba- some of the back end is all the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, Square for so restaurants. What is, what, did you start with Square and move to Square with restaurants? Yeah. What was the additional you got? What was the extra you got? Yeah, so you get you get more menu design, you get more tracking, um, you get um, recipe input. You also get, I mean, we don't use it to the fundamental. I mean, to the to the extreme that we could. You get kitchen displays. They have a they have kitchen. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they have the they have the kitchen displays. You can track time tickets. You know, just just you know, Square is great for you know retail. Yeah, uh, and so you get the you get the great parts of that, right? That they have transaction. Yeah, they have a great. Um, Interface customer interface for transactional things, yeah. Um, and it just elevated the back of the house. Um, you know, it's it's easy for us. Again, I'm not. Um, I wouldn't say like a remarkable, you know, business person. So I'll say I, you're remarkable. <laughs> I had to make sure that I could find something. And again, I've been like, you know, I've compared it to toast. I've compared it to Aloha. I've compared it to, you know, other processors. And for me, how I like to run my business in the most effective way that it can work in my life, um, and for the ease with my staff, it, you know, if you can negotiate that arranged rate with them, which I was able to do, like, how'd you do that? Uh, so. Again, when we started using them a couple years ago, they were just launching the restaurant. And so we got into a beta. Um, and then at that point, if you were doing over an, a certain amount, a very minimal number, but again, they targeted at that point smaller retail. If you're doing over something like $250,000 in sales, which we do more than that, you could call in and negotiate your rate. Okay. And so that's what I did. What specific, are there specific terms you use? Words, keywords? No, I was okay. an idiot. I was on the phone with like some sales guy and I was like, yo, uh, we're doing more money than this and I think we're going to do more and I want to do more services with you. I want to use your payroll services. I want to use... And, and and honestly, again, this is not a plug for them. I feel like it should be. No, it's a testimonial it, it though. And this is, is super... And honestly, there is no one solution. No. And I think it's important because Toast is taking over the world right now. I Toast don't a, like... It's a great platform. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people love it, but there's also a lot of other platforms that are great. And um, I think it's important that we don't have a monopoly. And what what you love about a platform, somebody else might might not love. Yeah. There's so many solutions out there. Yeah. 
Uh, and I wish more people would talk about other platforms if I'm being honest. Yeah. And there, there was the, there was for me too. Like I, um, one of the things that we do that I'm really proud about that we haven't really touched on cause we've talked so much about my crazy personal life is that we offer full benefits here. We offer full. That's huge. We offer full medical. Uh, we don't offer dental. Unfortunately, we offer vision. We offer 401k paid vacations, paid sick time in a restaurant, um, maternal and paternal leave. How? Cause I starve. <laughs> well, Cause it, no, no, it's a sacrifice. It is an absolute profit sacrifice. But how has that helped you? What's uh, the, how's the sacrifice? Well, a, it's helped me because I put my money where my mouth is. I think that we need to revolutionize this industry and offer it. You, you shouldn't have to sacrifice a retirement because you're a waitress. You shouldn't have to only go to a, to a large chain to be able to get healthcare. You know, I was never offered affordable healthcare at any restaurant I ever worked at. How is this industry going to be taken seriously if we don't take the people that work in it seriously? Well, that's the question. Yeah. Um, and so you have to make a career. If you want to make a career, you know, my bar manager, Shake, I think is one of the most talented. Fucking love Shake. He's fucking one of the most talented. <laughs> I actually just yelled. They just had like a bartender's after dark. And I went there and I was like, yo, why is my bar not included? And they're like, uh, and I'm like, I will put money on shake over 90 percent of these but like he makes his own infusions i mean we talk about opening a distillery together he's really passionate and you know but he's young and i want him to be able to like make money here i was blown away when i found out he was like 21 years old he's 24 well i think when i found yeah yeah when you yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. like now he's 24 he doesn't look it (laughs) um but you know i want to be able to like not lose him a to a bigger to you know potentially a bigger restaurant um, I want to grow with him. You know, I want to do that. But I also, again, I feel like I have a moral obligation to the people that work underneath me to make sure that they can li- they a, get a livable wage. We yeah. do. We also do, which I know to some people doesn't seem like a big deal um, from from dis- from January to, to March, the end of March. We offer my staff on average makes twenty three to twenty seven dollars an hour as baristas. Wow. I think it's a pretty good livable wage. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that's that's tip dependent too. They they all get you know base wages, and then it's tip dependent. Um, but during the slower season, we guarantee them a minimum of twenty dollars an hour. So if you're in a day like a day like yesterday, where or the other day when it was crappy out, there was nobody in here. You know, we're taking the L and making sure that they can still make that minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do to to do you build in a cushion? Is there during like the peak season? Are you putting away yeah. a little bit of a yeah. nest egg? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it though, is that like, we are small, like, I'm very transparent with my staff. Like guys, it was a bad week. So like, please don't eat any avocados. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, I, I, we're still in that and I'm still in that day to day numbers game. Um, and it's funny cause you know, I just recently hired, um, Daniel and, and they're doing shift lead front of, front of the house management and they just so badly want to do ordering. And I'm like, I cannot give away. You don't understand. Like, this is my money. Um, and so we're, we're still, you know, I'm still in that that part of the infancy of the restaurant where, yeah, we're making money. But, like, I'm still thinking about every single expense down the line and, and when we cut back things and how we cut back. And, and, and how do I make sure, too, during the slow season, you know, we have, I think, right now 11 or 12 employees and one, two, three, four five of them are full-time six of them are full-time um you know i have to be creative of how i i keep that nest egg so that i can keep them gainfully employed during the during the time of the year that a couple years ago would just be me in here right now i would you could train that i don't know 
I want. I mean, I hear what you're saying for yeah. sure. But one of the things that I, I admire about you, yeah. just from the outside looking in, and uh, I know you don't feel this way, but you're not here that often. You say, people say that I feel like I'm here all day. Um, but for considering, you know, within the first before the you just crossed your your five year mark. Yes. congratulations. Thank That's you. That's huge. It usually takes some people two to three, four or five years to get to the point where they can go to an appointment. Okay, so you you, know you have to remember that that's how I was. It only was until I got elected in January that I really I had to step back and and I and there's this there's this gentleman um, Paul English who I think don't get me don't get quote me I think he founded like kayaker booking. I met him through a friend and then he sold it for all this other crazy money. Yeah. Um, but he uh, in casual conversation said like you know if you if you can't create something that's successful without you there you didn't create something successful because it hinges on you correct and then you're you're i think you're doing a really great job at removing yourself from the day-to-day we're we're talking about systems and processes yes what has that transformation been like because you said you were forced to do this because of the additional responsibility you took off when you ran for and got elected as the assistant running for mayor or no no so in in Portsmouth you just run an at-large election and so the first the top vote getter becomes mayor the second vote getter becomes assistant mayor okay so that was me what happens if you became the mayor Yo, on top man. of all this other shit you had to do. I was I honestly I stopped knocking on doors when I'm before the election. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit, like, I might win. I was like, literally I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, Sorry, keep going. No, 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 yeah, yeah. So so part of it is I, I give away the responsibility I can give away. You know what I mean? Like I have instilled in Danny, like you are responsible for the staff. You are responsible if they are if they are doing things incorrectly, if they show up late, if they like that's your responsibility. The things I still and will always need and want to have control of certain aspects. So it used to be that I was in here all, all day long. every day, And people still, and I get it, people will say to me like, oh, I feel like I haven't seen you. I feel like, oh, did we die? I think the camera just died. Oh my God, are we that long that it just died? <laughs> you know, so I, I do get a lot of slack from people who are were used to seeing me here open to yeah. close. You know what I mean? But now it's, um, again, I the goal was never to be a barista my whole life. You know what I mean? That was not the goal. So what did, what were the specific things you did differently a year ago when you started getting more involved with the the, the city? Okay. So this sounds crazy. I let my staff fail. Mm. You know, I let them run out of things. I let them have to tell a guest that, you know, and that, and I mean, that sucked because obviously I'm the one who deals with a negative review or or an email or blah, blah, blah. But I allowed, I allowed them to, you know, start to, allowed and forced them to start taking more responsibility you can't just call me you know because they had gotten into that mindset of oh this is this is broken or this seems funky let me call joe i'm like so now even now though they'll sometimes text me and i'll just google it and send them the google link i'm like this is what i would have done google it like here's the search result i'm not a mechanic i'm not i don't know how to fix the hvac machine i don't know how to you know do all of this stuff um but yeah but part of that was allowing the transition of some failure and also the transition of, of them taking on a responsibility. I always say to people, I know that you're, this is never going to be your forever job. You know what I mean? I know that this is this, you're never going to love this the way I love it, but you should walk in the door and respect it the way I respect it. Uh, And that's what I ask out of you. So is there anything else before uh, other, aside from just asking that you do to make sure that things happen a certain way? Um, yeah, well, I guess like you know if they don't happen, I do them, and then I guilt shit. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, part of it is fire people. 
that has been a real struggle of mine. I get overly emotionally. I hire more based on emotion than probably skill set sometimes. Uh, and that's come back to kick me in the ass. I mean, I think there's pros and cons to that because most people are oh, capable yeah. of learning. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we are providing an experience. And yeah, I can't teach you to be a fun experience. person. Exactly. I, but I can teach you to make like a swan. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of hair. But uh, we, you know, we did have a couple struggles where I put a lot of faith in somebody and then it came out that they were just completely fucking me over. They would come into shift, um, clock in tell the other staff that they were doing something for me and then just leave and mm. like leave somebody solo and you know but none of my staff because they knew I had a relationship with this person outside of work no one felt comfortable enough to tell me and so yeah. I was like it, you know and then things things finally came to a head and I was like what is happening and then it all spilled out and I was like dude I gotta let you go like yeah. you've been abusing this dynamic and relationship and I couldn't just put all the blame on them because I had put the blind trust in them um, you know, but you know, part of it is, is just hiring people that care a, a big part of my staff right now. Um, and what I have found and in, in, while in the industry, I think we've struggled for hiring. I've never had a hiring problem. I've had an overstaffed problem. And I say that to people and they're like, what? But part of it is, again, you create a place that people want to go, that yeah. people want to be, and you you be a person that people want to work for. Yeah, and if people don't feel comfortable, especially my marginalized people, yeah. don't feel comfortable going other places. That's a massive... I mean, it might be the minority, Yeah. but when you cater yeah. to making those people feel mm-hmm. welcome, you get the majority of those people. And yeah. like people walk up and say, like, an I read an market. article about you and I want to work for you. Yeah. Hi, like blah, blah, blah. I saw, I saw, I saw you speak at this event and I want to work for you. I want my kid to work for you. Or we came to a drag night there and I, and that was so great. Or we saw live music there and I just like love the vibe of the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the biggest compliment that I get, um, is that people, will, people all the time will come in and be like, Oh my God, we've been coming here for a decade. We love this spot. And I'm like, we've been open for two years. Right. Thank you. You know what I mean? Cause it feels like home. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we touched on it a little bit. Is it like it's a third place? Yeah, it's a third place. And you know, and I will never, um, and I laughed a little bit, you know, when you said, Oh, will you be on this? And I'm like, I'm not a restaurant tour. Like I am not as impressive as these other people, but I think, you know, the skill that I have is I can turn, um, any house into a home. And I don't think, I think that you, can come across some of the best you had to do that your entire yeah, life wherever but, you were whatever house you yeah, found yourself in yeah you had to make it your home yeah and you know i think that if you know more people had that skill set we'd potentially see less failure in this industry mm-hmm. you know what i mean if if people only did it because they loved it um and you know i i talked about earlier and, and, and this has been the real struggle for the next phase is what do we do next Right. Pre-COVID, we had inked a deal to put three locations into three office parks. Wow. Uh, You're there. See, you're making it happen. Yeah, but that got pulled with COVID. that's just one experience. That's just one event. And so... You're still showing up. You're still here. You're still... you're. Not to say that Restaurant Unstoppable is going to be the fucking (laughs) straw or the the, the, the event that gets you to that next place. But like, you're getting... like, Like, you're... It's happening. Yeah. And sometimes we can't see it when it's happening because we're too close to it yeah so you know? so for me it's it's what it's what's the next move you know where's the next location i dream i dream in portland because i feel like that's a demographic that we really you know fit um and and yeah so it's it well well yes physically i may not be here as much um i am mentally here 
24 hours a day, every day, all day, because I'm still a one woman show. You know, I, I still do all of our marketing. I still book all of our events. I still do any of our co-branding. I still do our social media. I still, you know, do our schedule. I do our payroll. I do our ordering. I do our inventory. I still do those things. And I love those things. And you still do makeup on this. And I still and do makeup. Still the assistant and I'm still mayor. the assistant mayor. It's impressive, Joe. Thank you. It's yeah. really impressive. Because I don't have to tie my hands down to a man. So I have all the time <laughs> in the world. There's truth <laughs> to that. I mean, like when you're a single person, it does. It helps. Yeah. I think it helps. Yeah. It, to it, be able I, to, it's a sacrifice. It, it is a sacrifice. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting um, to just briefly touch on. When I opened this, I was engaged, and then I and then I was married. He had no part of it, but he would help, and it you know it it really also like you know when we separated, um, there was a period of time where I was like, oh my god, I I you really used that help a lot and didn't realize it. There was a period that I like called my ex husband. I was like, oh my god, I guess I didn't realize how much you know when you know for because we're little you know and, and this is I try to explain to people like we have one like double door fridge. You know, we have no storage downstairs. So that means like that milk is coming in almost daily in the summer. And, you know, especially, you know, after COVID, when some vendors shut down, like I'm going to PJ's and picking up 20 gallons of milk sometimes. Yeah. Um, And so like, you know, there's a huge help when I had another person. And so, um, yeah, for me, I had to like be like, oh, my God, thanks so much for all that help. I didn't realize how much you helped. I mean, relationships at the end of the day, they bleed over. Like, you know, there aren't cut lines all the time especially with personal relationships and yeah. i do i have noticed that the partner i it, i think it helps to be single sometimes yeah. because you don't have to give that self that that you should be giving a, por- a portion of yourself to your partner yeah right and when you don't have to give that bandwidth to somebody you can put that into the business but yeah. at the same time you do bring up a great point that like our partners we can lean on them. Yeah. You know, when we, if we do get sick, we can call in yeah. a favor. You know? Like I have an amazing cog spreadsheet and that's because my ex-husband was an engineer. You to lean on each other's strengths. Yeah. Too. I mean like literally I'll send people that and they'll be like, what? That is, that is so fine. And I was like, dude, I did not do that, but I have not <laughs> let that fail. Joe, I'm totally losing track of time. Okay. We're we gotta over go. two hours, but this I'm loving great. the conversation. Thank you so I much. Do, no, um, we got to do the speed round. Yes. Still, yes. It, we'll hopefully, before we get to the speed round, <laughs> I do have to ask you this. I do like to echo the mission statement. Yes. Inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Yes. We have talked a lot about your effort and what you're doing to transform the industry. Uh, I do just want to like give you this opportunity to talk about BIPOC. That's, mm-hmm. Yes, we did not talk oh, about gosh. that. And that's, I think my I, baby. Yeah. So real quick, how what is BIPOC Fest and how is that transforming the industry? Okay. So New England BIPOC Festival of a festival of food and culture and music, founded by myself. Um, Another thing that Joe is doing, you <laughs> yes. forgot to mention. Uh, we're a full nonprofit, uh, also co-founded equally by Chef Evan Mallet and Chef Dave Vargas. Both past guests on the show. Like, love these dudes. I love them so much. I I joke that like I don't know how these chefies took in this little barista, but we make a great little trio. Um, so a couple years ago, we decided that you know there, we were obviously an underrepresented demographic in New England and in New Hampshire, and so we said like let's throw a little festival. And so our first year, I think we had like eight restaurants. Um, this was in 21, 22, 21, uh, uh, 22. And so we had like eight restaurants and nonprofits. And we had like a mariachi band and, and a reggae singer. And it was just, it was in the Vita parking lot. And we raised like $20,000 and we gave money back. And um, a big thing that we were focused on and in, in the uh, huge in our mindset is paying people of color for their time. And a huge, a huge amount 
that happens, I think, in the industry is that people expect that we're going to donate our goods and services to raise money for another nonprofit. So we did a stipend for restaurants um, and then gave back to all the nonprofits. Year two, which was last year, uh, so year one, we had about 700 people. Year two, we had about 1,500 people still in the Vita parking uh, parking lot. We rebranded to New England BIPOC Fest. We had restaurants coming as far as uh, Vermont, RJ's Barbecue on wheels, amazing. Um, we also, you know, this year or last year, we up to, I think, 24. 20 restaurants and we then we had like 15 nonprofits, bigger stage more music more lively we had uh, the indigenous people of New Hampshire we had the Indonesian Cultural Center they did a dance had food set up a, a booth uh, we had so many different I think we had 15 different regions or nations represented there wow. uh, what's and- the mission so the mission uh, so we, we formed a full nonprofit called cultivate and to grow and harness and grow to harness and grow community Harvest and grow community. And what so, kind of community? Yeah, so so part of it is to to show that people of color do live here and uh, are repre- You know, there's there's communities with this in communities, right? Yeah. And so really giving that exposure. And uh, and then last year we had the James Beard Foundation hopped on, uh, and this year we're expanding it. We're bringing it downtown to Pleasant Street. We're hoping to get. 40 restaurants from all throughout New England raised about $50,000, uh, pay people of color for their time, exposure to these restaurants, to these nonprofits that are all minority owned um, and all from New England and, and showing people that those those cultures are here. And And I think Dave Vargas says it, one of the best things. He says, I don't make Mexican food for people. I make my Mexican food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and. Um, and so showing people that true culture and that the, those communities are here and represented, because I think when you live in a white area and I've grown up here my whole life, yeah. it's easy to say that we don't have, you know, good Filipino food or good. There's not good, a lot of diversity. There's up not. Here. No, but, but more so recently, I've noticed. I yeah. have to say there's been the influx. But you've noticed that doesn't mean they have no. I mean, we Dave and I just spoke at, a, at an event in Manchester and there's a woman who has a tiny little Dominican shop. And I'm speaking really fastly. So I'm sorry. No, we're, um, we were yeah, there's the that, time crunch. I don't know. Uh, she has this tiny little shop that's been there for 25, 30 years that nobody ever knew until the pandemic happened. And then she got on Grubhub and now she's like, I'm doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars more a year. And Dave and I were like, we never knew you existed. Please come to our festival. But this year too, I just want to give a little plug. One of the things that we're working on with the James Beard, uh, James Beard Foundation um, is, is doing a speaker series called Premium and hopefully maybe even like segue that into a little bit more where we're doing like a chef's round table. So we're going to be doing that leading up to the event. And the event is on September 24th in downtown Portsmouth. We're shutting down uh, Pleasant Street down like right downtown. So we'll have a beer garden, uh, liquor garden. We'll have all of this food, a whole musical festival. It'll be great. If I can do anything to help, please yeah. let me know. And I do want to take this opportunity to, before we go to the speed round to kind of say as somebody, as a white male who grew up in New Hampshire, yeah. I have to admit that I was very ignorant to just the fact that we didn't have a lot of diversity. Yeah. And um, I think it's important that we recognize, like for me personally, like I I will be the first person to admit that I've grown in that. Yeah. Part of it is I literally just had no exposure to people. Of course. That weren't like me. Of course. And like literally there was one person of color in the elementary school that I, I I was, I came up in. Yeah. It was Kingston. Yeah. And when you, when you, as a white person, when you see somebody who's different, yeah, it's hard to not notice that they're different, yeah, you know. And I and I think that, I'm speaking personally, like I, after getting out of New Hampshire, uh, traveling to Asia, mm-hmm. you know, spending a, a total of 
a year, almost two years total in Asia, not all together, but getting that perspective uh, and then traveling the country and, and getting into different markets. Being mm-hmm. in, I've been in every major city now almost twice. Yeah. You know, it opens your eyes to holy shit. There's just not a lot of diversity where I'm from. Yep. Um, and I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but I like I, I think that acknowledgement. Yeah. Like yeah. just being admitting to my guilt. Uh, I don't need to get into the details of that, but you yeah. know, just just not and just 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 being willing to admit that there's something you don't know. Yeah, opening yourself up to other perspective and just trying to understand. Well, and I think, and that, that's something I've tra- been trying to be better about is just listening and yeah. hearing and trying to understand because there's a, so many lenses through which the we see this world. Yeah. Every person is a different perspective with a different background, with different experiences. And we need to understand that if we can fully move forward together. And I think what you're doing with BIPOC is just creating more awareness to that. And I think it's great. So thank I you. Think, I think it, it, there's such an advantage to being like multiracial. I always talk proudly that I'm, I'm as equally black as I am white and I'm equally as white as I am black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've spent my life bridging cultural gaps. And so this is just another, another arm of that. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing. It's awesome. Thanks. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we're going to bust out a true speed round. All right. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? My ability to connect to people. What is your biggest weakness? Um, My ability to connect to people. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that a weakness? Uh, Because I want to connect to people. And when they don't, when there isn't an instant connection, I feel like it's my fault. Uh, What is a a question you ask or a thing you look for when you're building your team? Um, how can I make you a better leader? What is your biggest challenge today? <laughs> um, balance. How are you overcoming it? Acknowledging it and really setting uh, time to, to work on it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you, you teach your team, a way to be, a way to act. 
if you were to remove yourself from the situation, would you still react differently? Mm. I'm sorry. If you were to remove yourself from the situation, would you still react the same? Would you still handle it the same? So are you taking it personally is another way to say mm-hmm. it. Or, or would this benefit other people if you removed yourself? What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? A way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guests? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, the answer to me is so glaringly obvious for you. <laughs> I don't, I don't, make people feel at home. Yeah. Yeah. I was, was, was going to say just seeing people and like acknowledging people yeah. and caring. You know? Remembering people's names mm-hmm. in a coffee shop goes so far. It really does. Uh, I, there's a saying, everyone's favorite word is their own name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Ooh, um, I actually just finished The Mountain Is You and it talks about how you are your own biggest obstacle. And what is the biggest lesson from that book? Um, <laughs> cliche that I am my own biggest obstacle that if I'm not setting myself up for success um, and am I, if I'm not a, if I'm not discussing and understanding what I need to be successful then there's no way that the world is going to give it to me yeah you got to tell the universe what you need before it can yeah. present to I'm it. also a big believer in uh, this year in lucky girl syndrome which just means I'm I'm just putting it out and assuming that it's going to work out in the world for me <laughs> uh, it's a it's a real thing it's like the opposite I can't think of the word right now it's like Paranorma. It's the opposite of paranoia. Paranoia, where you think that everything is working against you. It's an actual word where everything is just going to work for you. But perception's reality. Yeah. There's truth to that. Yeah. What is one thing you don't feel restaurateurs do well enough or often enough? I don't think we take care of our staff enough. Mm-hmm. I, do, I think that we, we work so hard to get to the position to open up our dream. And we, we forget and are neglectful of what it's like to be the person on the bottom. What is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact in operations? I'm like technology illiterate. Um, we talked a little bit about Square. Earlier. Yeah, we talked about Square. I mean, I'm, <laughs> um, this sounds really silly, but TikTok, and I know that sounds like really crazy, but um, I naturally know that my staff that are younger demographics are going to be on their phones. So I'm like, you can be on your phone if you're filming a TikTok for the shop. I gotta get TikTok. Everyone's telling me I need to do TikTok, but I'm like so anti. I need to be better about being open minded. What? How? What's the ROI been for you with TikTok? Like nothing, but it, it gives it gives them a um, I think creative creative outlet um, and allows me to control what they're gonna already do. I love it. Uh, this is the last question. Dun, dun, dun. It's a big one. Open your ears. Okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Yeah. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost yeah. with your departure. Yeah. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom yep. that you could leave behind yep. for the good of humanity yep. and your legacy. Yep. Or those three pieces of wisdom be? Um, understand that the world is bigger than you and your problems. One. Um, this too shall pass. Two. It is always easier to be kinder. Three. I've really loved today's conversation, Joe. Thank you so much. You're so um, welcome. I found you, well, because I came here. Yeah. And it patroned your, your restaurant. Uh, but you were called out by Evan Mallet officially <laughs> to be a guest on the show. Uh, who do you respect and admire in the industry? Somebody that if you found out this person was a guest on the show, you would absolutely be interested in listening to that. Oh, yeah. Are we thinking local? Well, I'm, I'm not that fancy, so. We can do local. We can do international national yeah. like citywide I'm, I'm gonna i'm nationwide. gonna say local because there's so much of um 
who he is and who he represents that really inspires me. And he's still so deep in the grind. Um, and again, I'm just saying local. Uh, it was Kevin Dwyer. Kevin Dwyer. I actually don't think I've... From Dwyer's Pub. Where he, is that? It's it's in Portsmouth. It's the old Thai paradise next okay. to the old... Um, but he opened um, two months before COVID. And he was instrumental in the in the state change in the legislation. Um, it, it was for uh, not PPP, but for like Main Street grants. You had and and for PPP, you had to have been open for like a calendar yeah, it was year. Stupid. And he was instrumental in the state of New Hampshire, working with Senator Rebecca Perkins Quoka, who's our state senator, um, to get that legislation changed. So that 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 I never understood that you open your restaurant, you're at your most vulnerable period. And you then know, come, like yeah. you invest. Some, if not millions, millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. you're at your most vulnerable because yep. you need to be in there hustling, getting cash flow. And they're like, no, you're you don't qualify yeah. for aid after yeah. investing millions of yeah. dollars. And he was business. he's a townie. He grew up here. Yeah. He was a bartender at Flatbread for years, saved, 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 worked his butt off, went off to New York for a little bit and then came back and opened a hometown, tiny little, you know, Irish pub in his hometown. Kevin Kevin Dwyer. Dwyer. Look out, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect? If we've found a lot of inspiration from today's conversation, maybe we're based in the seacoast, or maybe we're willing to relocate to come join your team and be a part of your growth. Yeah. And men- be mentored by you. Yeah, so obviously social media is the easiest platform that we all talk about. So uh, Cup of Joe NH, Cup of Joe New Hampshire. That's also so our website, Cup of Joe um, nh.com. It's the easiest way to find out what we're doing. It's yeah, it's, it's the easiest way. Um, and, and I openly admit I'm not always the best with social media. So, but I'm trying to make sure that like, you know, the world knows who we are and what yeah. we're doing here. Joe, thank you thank so you. much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank we'll you. Cut it there. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Joe Anna Kelly, for killing it, for coming on, and honestly, just for being an inspiration, uh, for having the courage to speak up, to share your perspective, and to, you know, give people that information. I think we there's no way we can change and evolve and become better as a society if we aren't willing to listen and hear and understand different perspectives. But here's the thing. People got to be brave enough to speak up. And that's not easy uh, to, to speak about your past, to speak about family members publicly and to get open and vulnerable like that. You make this show possible. Thank you so much. Uh, we learn so much from these stories. Uh, so if you guys are enjoying this podcast and you want more like it, please support this show. There's so many ways you can do it. One way, I think the best way for you, the, 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 the best deal for you is to join Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com and just create your own account. And then once you're in there, you can start connecting with the people that I'm connecting with across the country. I'm traveling the country. I'm, I'm interviewing people. I'm listening. I'm trying to take as a journalistic as an approach as possible to find out who we can trust, who knows what, and we're connecting them with you. And uh, for a dollar a day, I think that's pretty incredible to have access to the people that I would go to tomorrow if I was opening a restaurant. Other ways you can support the show, you can support our sponsors, you can use our affiliate links, and you can tell everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry to come join Restaurant Unstoppable uh, as an audience member or just a listener. <laughs> so uh, as you're listening to this, we are wrapping up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, hopefully it's a great week. Um, I'm recording this the week before in preparation to get out of the office and to be on the road. Uh, and I'm s- 
super psyched for this trip. So uh, after that, we're going to be heading to Miami in Charleston. If you're in those cities, please let us know. We would love to connect with you, and we would love to know who you think we should get on the show. And I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the team who makes this podcast possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast for his editing and copywriting. And thank you to Sam Hall over at SavAndSam.com for his videography and for his social media. It takes an army. It takes a tribe. I'm proud of mine and grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.